I'm Tara. I'm Ryan. We love Disney movies. So we decided to watch them all, from Snow White to Frozen 2 and beyond. Each episode, we'll watch a different Walt Disney Animated Studios film and tell you all about it. Did we like it? Does it hold up? Who's our favorite hero? Or villain. We'll give you history and fun facts about each movie. And sometimes, we'll invite our friends to watch along with us. So put on your tiara. Or your evil crown. And join us on our adventure. This is Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. Hello, listeners. It is great to be back, and uh, we are going to talk about Beauty and the Beast today, but we have a very special guest who is joining us from probably the furthest away we've had. Probably. (laughs) If you have anyone who's further away than me, I don't think I want to know, actually. Yeah, it's Australia, (laughs) I think is the other option. Um, So I guess we should introduce him. This is our friend Shane. Shane used to work with me uh, at a video game company. And he, I, while I decided to keep doing that, he has decided to devote himself to a probably more uh, worthy cause. He is now a... uh, Jesuit priest or a Jesuit? Are you still a novice? No, I'm. Not, I'm not a priest yet. Uh, I'm a. I'm a. You're not a priest yet. I'm a scholastic, which means I'm training to be a priest. Um, and at the moment, my my rank in the faction progression is regent. Ooh, so okay, is that what is it? First class life scout? Like where does that fit on the boy scout? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> that's my reference. It, well, it's uh, so it goes novice. Uh, Tinderfoot. It's, it's similar, <laughs> yes. Uh, novice, scholastic, but it's weird because there's some overlap. So technically, I'm scholastic all the way through up I t- when I take final vows. But oftentimes, you'll just hear scholastic for when you're doing first studies. Then you're a regent between when you're studying mm-hmm. philosophy and when you study theology. Then you're a theologian. Then you're a priest. But then I would be an ordained scholastic, and then I would be, I would be fourth vowed or final vowed. Um, but that might not be for another 20 years or something. That's, that's, that's impressive. I didn't realize you were so far along on the, yeah. on the, on the, it's, it's, I keep wanting to say the bridge, but that's because we're watching that Scientology. Yeah, we're watching Scientology. Don't that's say that's the not, bridge. Oh, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, today, like we said, we're talking about Beauty and the Beast. Um, and have we said his name? Yeah, this is Shane. Did oh, I say Shane? Okay. Shane, Shane, it's Shane. Hi, it. I'm Shane. Hey, Shane. <laughs> How's it going? So, uh, Shane, talk to us a little bit about like, I, I, you know, we used to say your first memory of Disney, but I feel like it's so ingrained in everybody that no one has their first memory. Oh, geez. Maybe like your history with Disney animated movies, uh, why we talked about doing this one, your your history with this movie, anything like that. Okay. Um, so like I, Ryan, you're just like a year older than me or something, right? Like we're very close in age, I think. I think uh, so. Wait, I'm, we, we I'm, don't have to I'm, say I'm numbers. This but, year. Okay. Uh, well, I'll cut it out. Uh, uh, well, <laughs> okay, well, I'm I'm 39 this year, so yes. Uh, there we go. Um, I will turn 39. I'm not yet 39. I think the age just at, at which I was like getting a little too cool for cartoons was when the was when the Disney Renaissance was happening. Um, which like We've talked about this, yeah, yeah. Which like in retrospect, you know, I mean, obviously, once I got old enough to realize I was not too cool for cartoons, uh, I was very much able to embrace these. But like, I think like Aladdin was like the the sort of cusp for me of like the last one that I was really able to wholeheartedly embrace like as a kid. Um, Mm -hmm. And then honestly, by the time Beauty and the Beast came out, like I didn't, I don't think I even watched Beauty and the Beast until I was older. Um, 
So this is, came out before Aladdin, right? I think, so. Oh, well, okay, but I think it, it might it might have been pegged as like the girls' yeah. movie or something. Um, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing the same thing because she's always very surprised I haven't seen Pocahontas, and I'm I was like, shocked at that. And I was like, that's I'm like right younger, in it, it. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's right in that valley of like cartoons are for kids. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I saw Hercules in high school because I had a girlfriend and she and I was like, oh, I don't have to seem cool. She's already knows what's up. So here we go. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. Aladdin was after Beauty and the Beast, wasn't it? So, okay. So sorry for screwing up the chronology there. Um, that's fine. I think you're right about the boy versus girl perspective. Yeah. And, and that's something, you know, Disney has been wrestling with for a while. That's part of the whole reason they bought Marvel was they wanted to like sink their claws into the boys more. Um, uh, and, and yes, I know girls like Marvel and boys like princesses, and th- these are both true facts. Uh, yes. But speaking demographically, uh, how the Walt Disney Company perceives their audiences. Um, uh, okay, so I think I think okay, so I had seen the movie, but I think I, I don't remember seeing the movie for the first time. What I remember is seeing the Broadway show um, mm. when I was. Yes, I've got some facts about that. Yeah, so I was a. And I, I was a theater major in undergrad, and I did a lot of um, technical theater and special effects and things. And so, it, it, like, that's what I was going for. The, like, I had loved the stage version of The Lion King. I wrote my undergrad thesis on it. Um, but then getting to see Beauty and the Beast was like, okay, I know this one is not as, like, technically interesting, but I was sitting there waiting for the scene, uh, the transformation scene at the end. Um, yeah. S- spoilers, yeah. the beast turns back into a human. Um <laughs> But I, so I'm sitting there, you know, the tech theater nerd, knowing that this is happening. And so I'm watching it as fiercely as I can to try to see how they do this. And it's the most amazing thing because he's like flying up in the air. And I know how they do flying. That's fine. It's so yeah. cool. And they have yeah, the spotlights was... on him. And then they just go swoop, swoop. And he's transformed. And I'm sitting there like. It's so quick. I was like, how did they do it? And uh, that just blew my mind uh, that they were able to pull off that effect. I think, I think I've seen it. Like, really? for some reason, I don't think it stuck with me because I was probably, I think I was young enough that I was sitting there going, I can't believe I'm watching a, <laughs> a, a play, Where you, you know, have seen it? at Dallas. Uh, we brought, we had Texas gets some plays sometimes. I didn't see it on Broadway. I was, I did. It was, oh. It's, I not, saw it's not just all Annie, get your gun. And... It was out. Yeah, it's, that's all it is. Oh, oh. We yeah. still have the, 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 uh, uh. Uh, Buffalo Bill like stunt show come through and they're like <laughs> yeah I I remember this movie very much my mom had my this is my mom I think my mom's favorite oh, Disney movie interesting and my basis for that is because we listened to the soundtrack for four years straight in her <laughs> car like anytime like when I was growing up the big joke was she only listened to K Love K L U V which was like the oldie station uh, where I grew up. And then a, a, a weird plug on our podcast for Caleb, if it's still around. And then um, the, the, the the so it was only oldies that I had to, like, and this was in like the 80s and 90s. So when I say oldies, like now you listen to oldies and you get some Zeppelin in there, <laughs> like some 70s yeah. stuff. And then this was like, this was oldies like. Is this like doo-wop, like, like 1960s and 50s? Yeah. Kill me. So uh, then we move into, okay, well, now now we've got a CD player in our car, because I think that was part of it, too. Like, oh, this is great. Well, what CD will we listen to? Well, only Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> what else do you need? It contains every human emotion. 
It really I, does. I have all these songs memorized, I think, for at least the last at least 12 hours straight, if not longer. You know, probably 48. I'm actually I had a song stuck. Oh, go ahead. No, well, I, I, I was because as you were talking about the soundtrack, I was thinking like the like the title song. I know like Angela Lansbury's little thing that she sings, which is beautiful. And like, yeah. uh, it's a really nice little piece in the middle of the film. But uh, I was like, what other songs? And I was the the, the Kill the Beast song. Um, and nice. I and I'm remembering now. I must have seen it earlier because when I was because when I was reading Macbeth in eleventh grade, there's the line "Screw your courage to the sticking place." And I remember thinking, like, where have I heard that? Like, why do I know that yeah, line? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's specifically Gaston, I believe, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I have had for forty eight hours. I've had uh, a song stuck in my head that until. Uh, yesterday when I did my some of my research, realized wasn't entitled Bonjour. It's actually entitled Bell. Bell I always, yes. I always call it Bonjour, bonjour but it's not. Because <laughs> it's how the song starts. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I have had the Broadway song that I'm obsessed with that was at it for the Broadway show, If I Can't Love Her, in my mm. head. It is my favorite. So oh. you should listen to it. I g- well, I mean... It's great. I probably have heard it when I saw it. I I vaguely remember the beast transforming, but I don't think I like I said I don't think I had the wherewithal to think this is oh this is going to be really cool because they have to do it here. I'm like oh yeah this is the part of the beast transforms. Right. <laughs> like, so didn't, I like, was I was like mesmerized by it, but it came out in it debuted on Broadway in '94, and I saw it wow. in between '94 and '96. So I was like. Anywhere between like ten and twelve, mm. some in there, and like that time. So I just it was the first Broadway show I ever saw. So, so like, add about holds a very special place in my heart. So add about two or three years to when you saw, it, and that's when it got down to Texas, and we no, it actually that's the, move. the no. beast got two guns and boop. It <laughs> actually was tried out in Houston. Oh, so before it had its Broadway run, it was it, they tested yeah. it in Houston. That's right. Well, and you know, down in Australia, when it made it there, that's where a young thespian named Hugh Jackman got his first starring role on on Broadway. Oh, it was Oklahoma. I did not was know it, that. Was it, was it a Beauty and the Beast? It was Gaston, yeah. Um, oh, maybe he did Oklahoma oh, first. Oh, my God. I, I got to go look that up. Yeah. There's nothing that's... Gaston, I, I don't know if you listen to the podcast, but, but Gaston is my favorite villain. Gaston is pretty great. I Oh, and I, well, so my friends and I, so when I, uh, this is a total tangent, but it, Gaston and musical, my, um, when I lived in LA uh, the first time, my friends and I, like, karaoke was the thing that we did, like, every Wednesday night, mm. we knew that, like, yeah, we were going to this, this bar, and my friend and I loved the the song Gaston, but it was never like we went to so many karaoke bars and it was never <laughs> on the list. And, and and karaoke bars have plenty of Disney songs, so it wasn't like we were the idiots coming in wanting to do Disney. Um, that like yeah. they just didn't have Gaston. And so we had made friends with another KJ who made the karaoke version of it for us. Like he went through and like did the timing wow. with coloring the lines. And so we did. Uh, like this legendary in our minds performance of Gaston um, <laughs> where, uh, it, but we did it. It's still on my calendar. I think it was just a few days ago. Uh, we call it Gaston day as, as the day that we first performed oh Gaston. God, uh, and, and our thing was that we were going to do it every week, but like trade roles. So I would be LeFou one week and he would the other, it was going to be like true West uh, where like every time we did it, we were playing different parts. Um, but then I moved out of LA and I don't, I think that was the one and only time we have ever performed Gaston. Um, I like the idea that this person just kept doing it, but would just be quiet during <laughs> half the parts. Like, or, or he would have a beer that he would slowly pour out. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> 
and everyone's like, "Did his friend die?" And they're like, "No, he just moved." Yes. Um. So let's let's. I'm sure everybody who's listening to this, since this is one of the more popular ones, knows the the uh, synopsis and everything. But let's hit it up real quick. Okay. So the synopsis is: a prince cursed to spend his days as a hideous monster sets out to regain regain his humanity by earning a young woman's love. This came out in 1991. Top three movies of that year are Terminator 2, Judgment Day, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and Beauty and the Beast at number three. That was a solid year. Yeah. Well, okay. And then Hook, The Silence of the Lambs, JFK, The Addams Family, Cape Fear, Hot Shots, and City Slickers. Hot Shots was in the top ten? That's a good movie. What a time that used to be. It's a... Yeah. I just... You rarely have comedies in the top ten anymore, it's especially yeah. ones that are so goofy as yeah. that. Well, and it got a ninety-four percent on Rotten Tomatoes. This is the first animated movie to be nominated yes. for an Academy Award. I'm getting a mean look from my wife because I feel stealing like stealing my facts. Now hold on a sec. That's like a big fact, <laughs> and I feel fact, like we yes. need to bring that out at the beginning. Well, do you know though that this is why they made like the ghetto category? For animated movies. The best animated. Yeah. yeah eventually yeah. we're going to. Because they were it, like, well, an animated and, movie can never win best picture. We must make sure this never happens again. Yeah. And when it was nominated, um, Silence of the Lambs is what won for best picture. Yes. At the Oscars. But the next thing to yeah. be nominated for best picture is Pixar's Up. Yes. And it's interesting because on Disney Plus, the uh, behind mm. the scenes is actually filmed in around 2010, 20, 2009. Yeah. And they're talking about how. This is the next time it's been nominated oh, cool. since then. And it's it, it, hmm. it's it's funny talking about all the people. Apparently, they all got up and they're like, it's not going to be nominated, blah, blah, blah. And they all got up and then everyone was like cracking champagne. And they're talking about there's certain animators that still have their champagne bottles closed. Oh, that's That cool. haven't signed the day they, they woke up and it was nominated. That's and all cool. that, so. That's really cool. Um, it did win two Oscars. It won Best Music Original Song. And it won for Beauty and the Beast. However, it was up against itself. Like three of the nominations were for Beauty and the for songs. Yeah. So it was Beauty and the Beast, Be Our Guest, and Belle. So all three of those were nominated for Best Song, but Beauty and the Beast won. I'm actually surprised it won. That like I figured those might split the vote. Yeah, that's what yeah, I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, and that happened with Little Mermaid too. Little Mermaid, it would there were Little two Mermaid songs two that was nominated. nominated. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> so. Uh, and then it also won for Best Music Original Score as well. Mm. And it did win the Best Picture in a Musical or Comedy at the Golden Globes. So it did take home the Golden Globe for okay. Best Picture. This was 19... 19- I just realized this because City Slickers was on the, the list. But this was the year in the Academy Awards where Jack Palance won for Best Supporting Actor and went out and did one-armed yes, push-ups. That yes, that was so good. <laughs> So I have a few facts about the original fairy tale, but I'm not going to pronounce any of the French names right. So I'm mm-hmm. going to just throw that out there. But the French novelist, Gabrielle Suzanne Barbat de Villeneuve, maybe. I don't know. But she wrote it in the... I'm Apologies just gonna to all own, our French listeners. I'm just going to own that I'm terrible at this. Uh, she wrote it in 1740, and it's... A lengthy version, so it wound up being abridged and rewritten, and then published by um, another woman in 1956, and that's the version that's most commonly retold. So mm. that second version in 1756. I did not know that this story was originally written by a woman. Um, that, that that that's 
an interesting factoid. I, I will say in the thing I saw, there was a lot of like, this story has been retold so many, so many times. So sure. I wonder, well, uh, the, and they the, say the it was influenced was by, by Greek yeah. stories. There's an Italian story yes. that it references. Mm. Um, so there are different stories that I it's, think influenced than this version. It's a Disney documentary. So sometimes you have to take some of that with a grain of salt. There's some stuff I noticed in it that we know differently that I'll go into in a little bit. Oh. But one of them, they're like, this is, the, this is the fairy tale that has the most versions across the world. And I'm like, have you done the numbers on that one? Hmm. Or, yeah. but, I mean, it might be true, but it's also like pretty hard to quantify. So, but that was something they said that there's a lot of like, a woman is with a creature and the creature, like they fall in love. And then, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, and, and apparently in the original story, the prince turns into the beast, not because he's cruel and unkind and selfish, which is kind of more what's focused on in the Disney version, but because he refused to marry his evil fairy godmother. Hmm. So woman scorned. Yes. And then bells, um, instead of bell, like, you know, he's kind of, intense and short-tempered and in in the disney version Mm -hmm. she's more trying to understand his stupidity because he cannot express himself (laughs) intellectually is what i read how they described it well they spent six months writing a whole version of the story that was very different and then they brought it in and jeffrey katzenberg and roy disney like yeah they scrapped it and at that point the production the project so these facts that i have are from waking sleeping beauty which we plug um, a documentary on Disney Plus, but they had the project moved to London when they worked on it. it. Was just the first twenty minutes of the film that they spent that much time on, mm-hmm. uh, and then they scrapped it and they wound up moving the production back to Burbank. And then I have some Howard Ashman stuff that I wanted to say in here as well. Well, it wasn't a musical; was part of yes. it, and they brought Howard Ashman in and said, "Can you?" musicalize it is what yeah because he was focusing on aladdin at that point they were trying to do this not as a musical originally originally yeah yeah. because it was right after like like if you look at the at the at the timeline which uh, this is a weird thing to say because that's what this podcast is but like little mermaid was like the best movie i've seen in 10 years yeah because we watched every single one coming up to it and it's a much different movie if you go through the entire history of disney leading up to it but right before this was, you know, before this was a bunch of movies that were not musicals. And then it was Oliver and Company. And then it was Little Mermaid. And so, like, I think this was still before they were saying, mm. you have to do a movie every few years. Like, right before this was Rescuers Down Under. So that wasn't a musical. No, that was not. So, so the I structure think it was, was different. I think it was more unusual for it to be a musical at this point, And they were just starting to realize what a genius Howard Ashman was in in storytelling and that sort of thing. Yeah, and pairing it in that way. And so um, he starts writing songs for Beauty and the Beast. He's asked to write mm-hmm. songs for it. And uh, at this time, he's pretty sick. Uh, and so they wind up bringing all the storyboards to New York for Howard because he couldn't travel to California. But what's crazy is the animators had no idea. So they thought he was being difficult. Yes. But it was really he was so sick and he was not this very public hiv complications and, uh, yeah and, AIDS and, AIDS. Complication. and so it was unfortunate because in like the one thing i was going to say in the disney documentary they won't they don't mention what he has they just say he's sick oh in the really beauty and the beast documentary yes. that's aggravating now, yeah they're very open one, they're very still, open about it obviously in the howard documentary yeah. they go into it and in waking sleeping beauty mm-hmm. i believe they mention it as well um 
he apparently, too, was very nervous when he sent the opening number, when he sent Bell, and it's funny, I have Bonjour in my notes <laughs> as the title, um, but when he sent the opening number, that and Be Our Guest, I think he, he was very nervous to send those, mm-hmm. and then they were well-received, and it kind of went on from there. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is, we I can't remember which documentary this is in. I think it's in the Waking Sleeping Beauty documentary, but it was so cool to see him. We see footage of him not only working with the orchestra, in New York, but working with uh, Dame Angela Lansbury as well as Jerry Orbach. And it's really cool footage to see Howard, how he interacts with them and how um, specific and considerate he is. And it, it's just a really neat thing well, to see. Um, so, <laughs> one, Dame Angela Lansbury was his call. Like mm. he said, I think she should play mm. Mrs. Potts. That's a good call. It was also, I think he said... I think he also said we should have a British teapot and it should be played by this because he also was the one to suggest that they all have the in the uh, yes. objects have personalities and you know they transform from people like yeah that, that was, was something they were kind idea. of struggling with of like how do we make these work and and that and that sort of thing the animators were the other thing I thought was really interesting um, apparently his especially Beauty and the Beast they had parts of the orchestra in their playing it like they they. Because they, they brought in this very East Coast Broadway cast to be in this. There's a lot of people in here that... Well, Jerry know, Orbach. Are, are, yeah. Yeah, before... Uh, Law and oh Order. God, Law and Order. In my head, it was like Truth and Lies. I'm like, yeah. that's not what it's called. No, it's not. Oh, no. He was very big yes. Broadway. So, it was funny because they he pitched this cast... And every, all the animators are like, I don't know who any of these people are. And they're like, they're great, but we've, who well, are they? Well, this was also the phase, too, where they were transitioning into having, like, big stars as part yes. of the voice cat. Like, Robin Williams was still on the horizon, as we've previously established. But, like... like, like Buddy Hackett was right. the big Yeah, who, who's the Little big Mermaid. star Little yeah. Mermaid. Yeah, I mean, uh, what's-his-face from The Rescuers? Um, uh, George Paul, C. Scott? No. Paul Newman. No. Uh, the, the Bernard. Bob oh, Bob Newhart. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, like he was, he was like a relatively big name, but like, you know. He, he, well, I mean, he was in the 70s when, when they did the recordings of uh, those songs, they, it was supposed to feel like they were on stage. He was supposed to feel like you're doing a live performance mm. of it mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. And also during that scene, I got to see what Gaston really looks like. And boy, is it disappointing <laughs> because he looks like a member of the news from like Huey Lewis and the news. Like I was like, oh, is that a problem? Okay. I don't, I don't understand. He just looked like this kind of like tall, skinny guy with like weird eighties hair. Mm. Uh, and then he just, he, all of a sudden he opens his mouth and Gaston's voice comes out and I'm like, I can't, my brain won't make this work. <laughs> was it the same guy doing the singing voice as the speaking voice? I, he didn't, I didn't see the speaking voice. Okay. I only saw the singing voice. I think it was, but he, and he had a, you know, I, 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 sometimes you can tell if it's a very different singing voice and they sound very similar. But man, oh man, just did not. I mean, he was obviously putting on a voice and it just really. Yeah. There's, there was a lot of my, my like, this is not guest on. <laughs> like, it's like I've told you how for, for a much longer time than I want to admit, I thought Chewbacca was played by Chewbacca. Yes. Like, I didn't understand it was a man in a costume uh. for a long time. <laughs> not like, Just because I just didn't think about it. And then when I thought about it, I went, oh, no. <laughs> uh, and speaking about the music, apparently, too, uh, Angela Lansbury thought someone else should sing Beauty and the Beast. 
Like she didn't, Hmm. uh, from something I read, she didn't want to sing it. And the directors kind of convinced her, well, let's just record it and we'll have it as a backup. That's the version that's used in the film. Did she feel like she wasn't up to it? Or did she think like the character wasn't a good fit? I think, yeah, I think she just felt, let me look here. This is a Tony award winning actress in her own right. Like, yeah. Of course, now I can't find it, but But I have it written somewhere. I I will say I don't think she sings it in a way that's like classically like what a lovely, you know, it sounds like an an older, it sounds exactly what it is, an older woman kind of telling you a love story and then putting her grandchild to sleep. And it's beautiful and it should be sung that way. Yeah. But I can, I can, I can, I, that makes sense to me that she'd be like, I don't know about this. Like if she's trying to like put together the whole, cause that's the whole Well, I don't know story. if she also like felt like, but I, to me it fits seamless. Like it yeah. makes sense that her character does mm-hmm. it. But, um, but yeah. So the other thing I wanted to mention about Howard. Her and Peebo Bryson are the only people who can, does Peebo Bryson sing this song or is that a whole new world? The version of this song that's at the end, it's isn't it Peebo Bryson? Does anybody remember Peebo oh, Bryson other than no, me? No, I don't know that. I have no idea the name, but I remember <laughs> that like there were pop versions of the songs yeah. at the end that it was like two nowadays they have people, like but... Demi Lovato or somebody do it. Yeah, I don't think it is who you think it is. Peebo Bryson. Oh, I will make. Okay. I will. No, I haven't looked it up yet, but I am so sure because I've seen this thing. American R and B. You guys keep going. I'll find. I, I'm glad that this. I know is, he did. I'm glad that this is the hill you're gonna die on. Yes, exactly. <laughs> There's no other reason for me to have this information in my head if not to spout it out on the Disney podcast. Mm, I guess that's true. <laughs> uh, so the press presentation it went so well, and they went to go tell Howard. And at this point, he's in the hospital, mm. so he's very sick at this point. But when they go to tell him, he's wearing a Beauty and the Beast sweatshirt. So I just thought that yes. that was a fun fact. He was, um, you know. He felt so strongly about the project, as did everybody else at this point. He winds up passing away on March 14th, 1991, so he never actually sees the film completed. Mm. Um, So I did want to mention that. And uh, I'm going to mention something a little bit more positive before Ryan gloats here, because I can see his face. So we it's a little bit better of a transition. But they wind up uh, screening an unfinished version of the film at the New York Film Festival, and apparently the entire place erupted. Like there was applause as if they were at a live Broadway yeah, show. It they, was very they, it was very unexpected and the response was so strong and so different from anything well, they had. Well, because done. it was also not finished. Like yes. so much of it was still pencil sketches and stuff. Yeah. And one of the like lead animators did this interview. He goes out on stage, he's like, Okay, so uh this uh scene is gonna be all in pencil, so don't don't freak out. And then also we have this, which isn't done, so don't freak out about that. Like he went up there and like apologized for everything and then said he went up to a uh they all went up in like an opera booth and mm-hmm. then like Roy Disney like put his hand on his shoulder. He's like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. And then he goes, up, he goes, we're all up there in flop sweat. And then they finish Belle and everyone claps like it's like a, 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 a show. A, yeah. And they all went, oh, okay. Maybe this is going <laughs> to go is working. all right. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. Um, Celine Dion and Peebo Bryson. I Ma- knew it was a famous I was woman say, and I couldn't think well, of who, but I don't know the name. And, and that's what I'm saying. Nobody remembers Peebo Bryson, yeah. but everyone remembers like Celine Dion. Mm-hmm. He also sang A Whole New World with Regina Bell for Aladdin. That's part mm. of the reason. Like I said, like I think I just glommed onto the name Peebo. Yes. Um, <laughs> which Probably sounds so. like a Teddy Ruxpin character, <laughs> but like I don't know. 
So I have, because we talked about the musical earlier, so Mm -hmm. I just wanted to share a couple more facts about that. But um, the musical, of course, the music is Alan Menken, Howard Ashman, and then they brought in Tim Rice um, (laughs) as another lyricist. Uh, You don't like Tim Rice? I have a history with Tim Rice. Oh well, you can't bring that up on this Disney podcast. Not a personal history, like uh, oh, okay. Yeah. oh, okay. I was like a personal history. No, it's just I, I again, I did theater a lot, and I have had to sing a lot of Tim Rice lyrics, and he makes the most tortured rhymes that you could possibly imagine, <laughs> and just mangles the English language to do it. So he also does some very good work, but every now and then he just does, you're like Tim, you should have just let that rhyme go. Like it's okay, and but instead he'll like completely invert the word order example? or use some word that nope. Yes, I can think of uh, Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, um, where he gives us <laughs> he gives us the line uh, when Joseph is interpreting the Pharaoh's dreams. Uh, he says. All those things you saw in your pajamas are a long-range forecast for your farmers, which A, only rhymes in a British accent, um, and <laughs> B, is just like, it, like if, you, if you write those words out, they make so little, like, and I know it's a song and people don't speak in song lyrics, but like if you compare it to like, to like Sondheim or somebody who's like, uh, uh, like, I mean, I mean, and Sondheim is like on another level from most people, but like the just the, the there's a level of craft to writing lyrics that uh, sometimes the, the, Mr. Rice gets a little too clever. Or is he a knight? Do I have to call him Sir Tim Rice? I don't know. Anyway, um, I, 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 he's not a bad guy. Uh, I, I have nothing personal against him. Um, I've just I hey, this ex- is this is what this podcast is about. I have Those r- strong connections, whether they're positive yeah. or negative. <laughs> I have run into his his lyrics so many times, trying to figure out what the hell <laughs> he was thinking. Uh, and it's uh, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. one thing I was going to say when you were talking about singing versus talking is one of the things they talk about in the documentary is. Uh, uh, Howard Ashman's belief of like when you've exhausted all avenues of emotion, like you, you like speaking, you have to sing. And it was yeah. something that the animators came around on because they were saying like part of the reason the first one didn't work is because we were trying to put emotion into people. And like with a musical, you could if you have someone sing something, even though if it's corny, like the 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 the, the feeling is corny, it doesn't seem so corny anymore because you're singing it, right? Yeah. Am I getting another one of your facts? No, no, no keep going. What I was going to say is talking about emotions. Um, I read this comes out of one of the villain books that I have. Mm-hmm. They said that the inner struggle is the most difficult to animate of all yes. emotions. And so with Beast, that became very difficult because there's no strong actions to draw. Well, that's, that kind of well, they, feeling. They went to Howard Ashman and they said, we're not getting the like the moment they fall in love across. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. He go, and so he wrote, I don't know the name of this song, but it's there's something. I think it's called there's it's something, something there. Something there that wasn't yeah. there before. Yeah. 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 So he writes that song and he's like, okay, we'll just have them do it. Like they're going to sing a little song, which is the one, one point in this thing that like makes sense, but always throws me off because it's Robbie Benson's like normal non beast voice mm. singing it, which makes sense that that's what's in his head. But always when I was a kid, I was like, oh, I don't like this. Like, I don't know why. Like, I don't like, and this is a question I was going to ask later, but it's something we should, we'll, we'll do it now. I think we all agree with it. Who's hunkier, Beast or the Prince? Oh, oh I like Beast better, I think. The <laughs> I think Prince so is too. like almost like too... Like I want him. I don't he, know. I I don't care for the Prince because he transforms and then he looks right down the camera, and I wanted to cut to Bell going. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Because don't they make that joke in the live action where she's like, could you grow a beard? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Because, yeah, there is sort of that sense he just sort of becomes like generic good looking guy at Prince that point. Dude, yeah. Like, yeah, yes, he, yeah. He, he doesn't have anything interesting to him at that point. Um, right, right. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I mean, but it's also how old was he when he was transformed into the beast? So, like, this was something they really quickly went over. And I think Waking Sleeping Beauty was the idea that originally the beast was turned into a beast when he was much younger. And they had that one uh, concept art of like, baby beast do you remember this no i glommed onto it so hard because i was like what and it was like in this little like i have to find it somewhere but they were like oh he's a kid when he starts and i'm like that's weird yeah <laughs> like, baby beast is odd <laughs> do we how we well are, i we, wanted to go back because okay. i never finished my musical that oh it's totally fine you guys are fine i just i think the musical was very groundbreaking in a lot of ways so i wanted to just share it um that as we mentioned earlier, it tries out in Houston. It goes on Broadway in 94. And the critics note it when Beauty and the Beast came out in 91, how it had musical potential. It was a musical. Mm-hmm. Like Howard Ashman wrote it in that way. And so that encouraged Eisner to venture into Broadway. That's how Disney gets into Broadway. Mm-hmm. Now it's so common that Disney has, you know, multiple musicals happening. Um, but Alan Menken winds up composing six new songs with rice and it ran for 5,461 performances for 13 years. So from 1994 to 2007, and it is said to be the 10th longest running production in history. How many of those are in the Dallas Bass concert hall? No, that's Broadway. Oh, just Broadway. Okay. Yeah. So traveling theater doesn't count. (laughs) Yeah. They don't include the tours. I mean, and you can look it up. There's the different U S tours and it goes on tour and does Mm -hmm. lots of other things, but that was just the Broadway performances so talking about beast glenn Keane, and we've mentioned him yes. before was the supervising animator for beast and he created his own hybrid so when you're watching he uses the mane of a lion the beard and head structure of a buffalo mm-hmm. the tusks and nose bridge of a wild boar heavily muscled brow of a gorilla legs and tail of a wolf and the big bulky body of a bear so i just thought that that was really interesting to think of it in those terms this uh i also wanted to hop in because the uh i have been pronouncing his name wrong this whole time and i apologize because he's quickly becoming my favorite animator and it's andreas deja it's not yeah it's not the hispanic deja mm-hmm. but he did guest on and yes i, just, and I have some he's, i have he's some stuff the big on that villain too. guy after this oh. so. yeah so I have two different villain books that i kind of go to for stuff and so they were talking about andreas Dehai struggling with how to animate, struggling with how to animate Gaston because he wanted to make him a bit more of a character. Caricature? Am I saying that right? Well, I, well those are two different Not a words. character. Cari- a caricature. Caricature yeah. of a completely kind of self-adoring Romeo. So mm-hmm. that's what he wanted. But Katzenberg urged him in a different direction, trying to convey, you know, this theme of don't judge a book by its cover. Yes. Um, between him and Beast. And that Bell the viewer wants to see that Belle has to make a difficult choice, that it's not super easy. Although I think in my mind, it was never a difficult choice for her to pick Gaston. I don't but, know, man. Uh, but they do, you know, <laughs> between the two heroes, like two heroes being in quotes. Um, they also list Beast in the villain book, uh, in the newer villain book I have, mm-hmm. because they say he's, you know, he's not a conventional villain. 
But like Gaston, he blurs the lines between hero and villain. And so that became challenging for the animators because with Beast, there were a lot of limitations on what they could and couldn't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, he's an ugly monster on the outside, but is becoming a better person on the inside. And then Gaston's kind of the mirror opposite of that. And so Glenn Keane talking about the limitations of Beast, he said, it's kind of like taking a villain and hero and wrapping them into one body. So I just thought it was really interesting to look at it from that perspective. I don't think Beast is considered a villain and I don't think we no. count him because he doesn't, he could have killed Maurice, right? If he killed her father, I think that would have been his villain turn. Sure. But, but I mean, similarly, like Gaston is not a pure villain here either. Like until the, yeah, Gaston really doesn't have his turn until up on that rooftop. Right. right. And well, and the kill the beast, like the mob song. And I think he that. has his turn where he says, let's take Maurice and throw him. Oh in yes, sta- that's true. <laughs> I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. I, but well, and we'll get to, I, I, I think he has good reasons for wanting to kill the beast. If you, if we consider from his perspective, but we could, yeah. It, it, yes. I've said yeah. it a million times. This is this to the town's people of this 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 is the story of how they were the the hero of their village was murdered by a monster and now they're they're ruled by this by this like yeah you know I if it's it's it we will talk a little bit more about this but this feels like it makes sense that the French Revolution happens because they think this creature killed their 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 hero their town hero yeah and and that's the that's the thing is like when they talk about like kind of reanimating Gaston, they wanted him not only to be believable, but have this real personality and have, you know, like all the townspeople Mm. believing that he's their hero. So it is really interesting. He's a very strong villain, but I think for different reasons than a lot of our other villains Mm. and he appears different. Uh, I think that's all I have. Oh, I have, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I have one more thing to look out for at the end. So make sure to watch towards the end of the final credits because they do a dedication for Howard Ashman. So I'm going to just read what it is here since we've talked about him. But they, uh, the dedication is to our friend Howard who gave a mermaid her voice and a beast his soul. We will be forever grateful. That's sweet. That was really sweet. So I have one thing, last thing I want to go over. And you Mm -hmm. know, this is my hill I wish to die on, Mm -hmm. on. Beauty and the Beast. We've yes. talked about it many times. I'm going to do it now because I I'm, I want to plant my flag in the ground. If we end up watching it and I finally find out that this is a stupid thing, it's it's absolutely a stupid thing for me to get serious about. But if yes. I'm wrong, that's fine. But I am going to say it here mm-hmm. on recording. I don't understand why there's a bookseller in this town. He has one. He has one customer. How does and he gives her a book? How does he make I any money? I thought it was a library. Okay, so now what you're establishing is this town that is like born of ignorance has well, put money into local government to Bell, make it. No, no, no. But, I mean, you're also applying sort of our our modern capitalist notion of what it means to own a store uh, to this pre-French yes. Revolution town where I it, like think it's his okay. personal books. Yeah. But uh, it, it's like, it's a library, but it's his personal collection. And it just so happens that Belle is the only one who's interested in books. So this isn't a bookseller. This is just another dude who has a big collection. I just think it's, it's the idea of a library, but it's like his collection. Okay. But even if he oh, is okay. a bookseller now, though, it's not cool. like, it, it's not like he has to pay rent on that shop. It's not like, you know, he, he, he's got to yeah. provide benefits for his employees or anything like, you know, like he is probably independently wealthy and can live for a pretty good amount of time. And selling these books is just sort of like a thing he does. Maybe he's the executor of somebody's estate 
uh, and these are like you know, <laughs> may, or my or, argument against that, or Shane, maybe, or do you think the, oh, or maybe oh, like oh. Uh, after the beast was transformed, the remaining people in the castle, like before they, or you know, while they were still transforming into household objects or whatever, they were like, oh man, we're gonna have to have some money to live on. Let's sell off these books since his lordship is not going to want to be reading. Uh, and maybe he's helping to liquidate. Um, you know, th- there's all kinds of possibilities here. Do y- do you think this non this non capitalist idea was something that was thought of by the Jeffrey Katzenberg 1991 era of Disney? That's my only <laughs> Ryan, argument. Ryan, we are about to read a lot more into this movie than was intended by Jeffrey Katzenberg. <laughs> So I just I, yeah. I, I don't know I, why. I I, I, I think, am always I don't I think you have to yeah. toss out that argument at least. Like <laughs> Yes. I and again, I don't know that it's a lie, but I think that's how I always viewed it as a child. Was like she, it felt very much like going to a so, library because she borrows books and she brings them back. But like lending like libraries weren't really a thing until like Andrew Carnegie. Like l- libraries were a place that you would go and you would read the books there. And and, and this then is go home. but the the idea yeah. of a private okay, I can see even if this guy had nothing to do with the beast, if this was just a private once collection. in a generation, a crazy bookworm exists in this town hall and he was the first one. Mm-hmm. This now, for some reason, a a a municipal library doesn't make sense, a bookseller doesn't make sense, but just some old crazy guy who's like, I have some books and I have some new books, like I don't know why, but well, this is finally well, brought well, into perspective. He's also me. he's also servicing, you know, the neighboring farms. Like this could be an entire province that this is the the, the hub mm, of, basically. Okay. And so people from all around, like when they want their books, they come into town and you know they sell their eggs and their chickens and their whatever, and they they pick up a book. Uh, and so this, maybe day to day, Belle is just, the only one just... who stops by. But uh, yes. exactly because she lives close by. This yeah, podcast, and the rest of the town doesn't care to read. This podcast has finally fulfilled its purpose of making this thing i have so long rallied against i know you've had such strong (laughs) feelings i'll be honest i was thinking about this because i knew you were going to bring it up but i was like well how do i really view it here's the thing is i know that ryan hates books and i've known this about him for a long time (laughs) oh my gosh not during the pandemic man i have like so many tara has lately been like stop ordering books stop ordering books Guys, we've been talking for a while. I think it's f- finally time. Okay. Unless anybody has anything else they want to say. I don't think to, so. To uh, take the v- VHS out of the clamshell and stick it in the VCR. All right. We'll see you on the other side, listeners. All right, guys, we're back. All right, we are Woo! back. We're, we have, may have a little bit of a weird energy because we've recorded a little out of order, but... Well, I think what we might want to do, because Shane does have to go here in a few minutes, is maybe give impressions yeah. of the overall film and like our thoughts and feelings around it. That might be a good place to start. Yeah, so what would you, how'd you feel re-watching this, uh, Shane? I'm trying to think of the last time I saw it, and like th- this version of it, because I saw the live action version a while back and I was not pleased with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like certainly since I saw this, I've learned more about world history and things. And so I'm seeing all of this through the lens of what I know about 18th century France. Uh, and uh, I mean, that's a whole separate, basically Belle is picking the really wrong time to marry into the aristocracy. Um, <laughs> into royalty. <laughs> yeah. This is like, Oh, Oh, terrible idea. Wait, 
I have something. I forgot I found this last night. What? They're apparently about to release uh, a, a new book series in which Belle has to deal with the French Revolution. Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. I'm I w- not. It's it's Beauty and the Beast Belle takes on French Revolution and sequel novel. Disney is publishing a sequel novel to Beauty and the Beast uh, with Belle grappling with the French Revolution. Uh, let me see. It is it is the Queen's... Uh, the Queen's Council series. Okay, because let, let's be honest here. Um, Prince Adam is getting beheaded then. And uh, yes, if he survived that fall, Gaston is almost certainly one of the leaders in the revolution. Um, uh, so like, oh, man. this is um, like Gaston may end up actually having the, the last laugh here. Uh, and, you know, and like he probably didn't survive that fall. I think we're led to believe that he he perishes, but you know he could have landed in the water. All kinds of things. But uh, but most certainly, all those townspeople. Oh God, are, are not happy. Know, are fighting in his name? Yes, for sure. If anything, he's become a martyr to yeah. their cause. So uh, trying to take out this t- tyrannical lord who's been living here for God knows how many years. That is an old article. This book has been out. So if you wanted to get it today, you know oh. it's called The Queen's Council Rebel Rose. Oh, I am so the excited. First book about in this. the Queen's Council series. And then we will be sure to put a link up for that for anyone who's interested. <laughs> but here's the thing, I know it's not gonna include Prince Adam getting guillotined, so I don't know how, how much how much I can be excited about this, knowing that they won't do it the right way. Tell you what, buddy, I will read it for you and I will let oh. you know. <laughs> Shook on too. And and if and if I finish it and go you have to see this. I will mail it to you. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, and if you tell me that, I will read it. <laughs> but but it, it is sort of hard to get away from, like... I think it's estimated this is probably, like, the 1760s, uh, based on, like, the, mm-hmm. when the end of the seven, the seven Years' War was. So, like, while the U.S. was getting deep into their own revolutionary spirit, this is when towns like this weren't really happy. Uh, like, all these all these people yeah. were, were starving, and it's because there was a... a a teenage king who had no sense of how to actually run a kingdom. Um, so like, I see all that and I, and, and that's, I think where a lot of my like sympath sympathizing with Gaston comes from. Uh, Cause I see it as like, mm. Oh, well he's, he's anti-aristocratic. He's, uh, he's against the, the, the Lord of this manor who, you know, what did the beast do to earn this castle? What, like, why does he get to live there? Uh, I feel like in the live action one, there's a lot of like, tripping over themselves to explain certain yeah, things. Yeah, and it, like, it's awkward. Don't worry result. about it. Yeah. Yeah, like where they say, because I always wondered like, why have they acted like they didn't know this castle was here? Or like, do they go like, whatever happened to our Lord? Like, right. why doesn't he? Well, and that's where I see like Gaston's ability to rally a crowd. Um, Like that's, that's something that'll come in handy come, you know, the reign of terror. So what if LeFou becomes the leader of the revolution because Gaston died and he gets his, his act together? I mean, yeah, he could hang out with Robespierre and, and, and those guys. There you go. He could roll with them. Uh, I'm remembering some of these terms. I don't know that I have so well, but I remember Robespierre and his, is it Jacobin something? Yes. Jacka... Jacobin are the, the group of people because they met at the Jacobin club. Uh, right. And the, yeah. Thank you, Mr. Wellborn. <laughs> <laughs> my my high school teacher. Well, what were your impressions from it? I kind of agree with you where here's the thing. I I I think it it really you know, we watched uh Rescuers Down Under with like very low expectations <laughs> and we're kind of pleasantly surprised by that. Yeah. 
Um, Joanna stole the show. Right? I know you love Joanna. Love this one's hard because it's like in the pantheon. So like you can only really yes. be disappointed by it. So I think that was part of it. I think the other reason I was a little disappointed is because I didn't realize how much of this movie I just created in my head from listening to that soundtrack because it was the soundtrack, not only the songs, but the score. And yeah. it was in that order. Mm. So you'd get the song and then you get the, the beginning of the, mm-hmm. and I remember that very distinctly without the oh, narration. Oh, that theme. Yeah. That enchanted yeah. theme. I forget like what it's actually the, called, but yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it deserves the Academy Award, but it was done like the movie. So the CD we had was the movie with the songs put in and then the score. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I visually like created scenes in my head. So then I watched it and I'm like, that's not how this goes. Or like for something, this sounds really weird, but like the color f- like was different than I remember. I remember it being much more blue and some of that might be from the live action. But like there was a lot of like yellows in the town that like looked a little, I don't want to say cheap, but some of it looked like saturday morning cartoon stuff to me for a little well bit. and some of it might have also been like that. yeah your your memory as a child everything looked more impressive it's like when you go back to play those yeah. old video games and you're like wait did this always look this crappy and it, yes it exactly did. but i also i also think i've seen little mermaid more recently so like the matchup was better yeah and i also think the color in the little mermaid was so much more vibrant it holds up a little better i think yeah, I think it's mostly just in town and in Belle's house that I was kind of like, this looks weird. Because I think when they're in the snow, I think when they're in, they do a lot of, we talked about how um, Rescuers Down Under, they started doing kind of volumetric, not volumetric, but like real like diffuse lighting and candlelight. And there's a lot of that in here. Well, and Gaston has shadows under his eyes yes, before exactly the, like when he's rallying the mob, which mm-hmm. that was a really interesting choice. I think that's now my favorite. I love Gaston, but I do not sleep on Kill the Beast. The Kill the Beast yeah. is great. Kill the Beast is like, a good it's, song. It's like, like, it's a song that does what it's doing in the it's movie. Driving it's driving the plot Like, forward. I'm like, like, if literally, like, someone's saying it to me in this room, I'd be like, yeah, what, what beast? Let's do this. Let's kill this. What's going on? Yeah. Like, you understand why they're doing it. Yes. Um. Well, for me, I... I think it's similar, you know, we're going back off of each other, but had we watched this not before Little Mermaid, I think I would have had a different reaction. I'm so surprised Mm -hmm. by my reaction to watching this. I just, Little Mermaid for me was breathtaking and was so emotional and I had this connection that was partly nostalgia, but like was also just, I was seeing it through a new lens as an adult and I just really connected with it. And with this... I didn't, and I was very surprised. And I think that took me out of the experience a little bit because I was surprised that I wasn't feeling as like excited mm-hmm. or emotionally connected. What I will say is Belle is stunning. I will say there are oh, certain yeah. shots of her mm. um, in the animation when they zoom up close and when her hair is falling in her face or when she's out in that field. It's the I think it's the reprise of Belle of the first song, and she's running out into the field, the I want song, like knowing she wants more than what's in this town, like so there are moments like that where I was really like taken aback at like how beautiful it was. The opening scene when they zoom in on the castle and you've got that theme that runs throughout the film. There are things like that that I absolutely loved, but I just kind of felt disconnected to it, if that makes yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I think that surprised me. I think it's just that the, the, the Little Mermaid just hit. And again, I feel like in a, in a weird way, there's almost part of me that's like, we should just stop the podcast. Because <laughs> little little yeah. it was leading to that. We want, we designed like a lot of stuff around it, but um, it just hit on every cylinder. And made... this one didn't, but it was still 
very good. I think. Well, and here's the thing about, like, and so this is me coming in as a story guy, and also someone for like, if, like my favorite Disney movie by far is Little Mermaid. Uh, like, mm. I I would say like it, it's it's a much better constructed story in terms of just um, what is consistently driving things forward. You, it is always very clear what each character wants, what they are looking for, what is preventing them from getting it. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, it's a little more messy. Um, and, you know, you could argue, well, it's a little more, like, realistic motivations as a result, but, like, it's, there's that whole kind of middle section where we as the audience know that eventually she's going to fall for the beast because we know it's a fairy tale and we know how it ends, but it's not clear, like, what is stopping it and what is, and when that is removed, because, and it's not just that he's a jerk and he stops being a jerk because he continues to be a jerk, um, and so, it, it, and and so, and that's a harder thing to just gradually dial out of a character, especially in the time frame of an animated movie in the '90s. So I think you're you're yeah. you're right in that assessment that like it's it, and as a result, your emotions don't get quite as hooked in because you're you're left not knowing where the story is wanting you to go. Yeah, and I think also we talked about this earlier, but because both characters, both Gaston and the Beast, I think there were limitations in how they wrote them because they both changed, right? Mm-hmm. That the mm-hmm. don't judge a book by its cover thing. It's like, you know, talking about how they both could be considered villains at one point and they both can be considered heroes at certain points of the film. Yeah. Um, I, I so think... I think it's not a straight line to like, oh, this is the the intense villain or this is, you know? Well, two things that I, two things real quick. One, I think you take any frame out of The Little Mermaid and it's a work of art. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that they were working on that for a while. Mm. And this one, they had to scrap everything and they had to kind of hurry. Like Katzenberg's like, you got, you had three years, you lost one to this, you got two years go. And I think there's some things where they cut some corners and there were scenes where I was like, oh, this doesn't look as good. I think when they hit it, they hit it hard and they hit it beautifully. Mm. Yes, there's a lot of, of beauty, and I think as we go through it, we'll break that down. Oh, yeah. Hmm, beauty. Guys, Shane has left. Shane had there's to go a, do some stuff. There's a pretty huge time difference. He is in Lebanon, yes. so it's so he 8.30 has to go. at night. And I, he also has to go participate in Mass. Yeah. And he will um, be back later. We, we've we already recorded the villains thing, so don't worry. But let me bring up my second point, which my second yeah. point was, we talked a lot about um, in Little Mermaid how every character had an arc. A clear, and Jeremy a, made that point of having a very clear arc. And yes. like Sebastian has an arc. But like in this one, like LeFou doesn't have an arc. Uh, you know, uh, Belle, Belle has an adventure she goes through, but I don't think she changes much. She goes from not loving the beast to the beast. Which I really think is cool that if you examine the story, it's Belle's got it together from minute one. She's just trying to find her place and someone she can be with. And she's trying to find her her. I guess we can take these off. She's oh, trying yeah. to find her place <laughs> in a world that she doesn't feel like she fits in. And yeah. I feel like a lot of people can identify with that. So I think on that, and I want to talk about Belle as a character. So mm-hmm. I, we can do that later. We can do that now. Well, now I know. You know, it's been a while but let's go into, go the... into the plot okay and again i've tried to just hit the basic plot points so we'll see how we go through it but i mentioned this earlier uh when shane was on but i loved the opening shot it was so beautiful uh and the opening in, shot of the of the castle yeah, yeah we see like the forest and everything around it and you're zooming in on the castle and you've got that beautiful theme and then you hear the narrator with this stained glass and so you're seeing it through pictures of stained glass and we looked it up the narrator is david ogden steers the same voice as cogsworth who is yeah. also the same voice of i keep wanting to say rad again that's not his name ratcliffe yes from, from pocahontas, pocahontas. 
Um, and Shane had asked here if the rose was in the original story. In my, I did a very quick search about the original story. So listeners, if there's anyone out there that knows if the rose is in the original story, we would love to know. We would love to have that. So feel free to post that on the Facebook page or you know you can call us. Uh, be sure to let us know. But uh, it then opens on the house and Belle and... You know, there, besides the narrator kind of opening that story, I think opening with a song like that, um, it hooks you in. I will say you're very, you know, as much as I said I'm disconnected from the film, you are invested from moment one because that music picks up and you're real curious as to what's going to happen. And that whole song is so interesting watching the townspeople and also listening. We watch it with subtitles. But, like, Bella's not very nice to the townspeople. The townspeople are not very nice to her. Like, it's clear they don't get one another. But it seems yes. like the townspeople take personal offense to what she's saying. <laughs> and she is oblivious to what they're saying slash it pays them no mind. She's not right? happy with her life, but she's like, this is what I've got. And they yeah. seem like she's, all, like, they they're definitely paint them as villains. More of the, like, she's odd. What a weirdo. And she's like... This I could be somewhere else. Like, and it's and yeah. it becomes very clear that that's what it is. My favorite part in that scene that I never noticed before is when she sits on the thing. She's I like, had wrote this down. Yeah, she sits on the fountain, and the sheep come up and are like, "Let's look at your book." If you, watch the washerwoman during this, I've never noticed because she just looks like I was washing here. She's and, like, so put upon. Collects her stuff. Yeah, because like all these sheep, and now Belle is like sitting there. <laughs> Um, and we did notice that the sign outside of the bookshop says bookseller. So mm-hmm. we kind of came up with a backstory that he was from London because it is in English where other signs are not in English in the Well, we joked about shop. that. I also wonder if he's selling, like, I'm trying to think, like, maybe it's just like he sells tons and tons of Bibles or something that yeah. everyone in that town would get. And is, then he's got. She returns a book, which is what made me think she's borrowing and it's like a lending library because she brings a book back to him and then he gives her one and says you can keep this one well maybe it's like half price where she's like i bring this back and it maybe i don't know we're obviously looking reading way it's more all into i think this. about reading way more into it oh my gosh i know <laughs> uh so then we're introduced to gaston by him shooting a bird so that's like the first thing you see with gaston uh the other thing i want to mention too we are introduced by the beast in the stained glass narration scene and Shane had made a comment about how he didn't realize we saw the beast so early on. And he's in the shadows, so we don't see a lot of details in his face, but we do kind of see his silhouette, which I'm I thought was interesting. I'm wondering if in like old VHS versions, like this had a new Disney uh, castle, at, it, the castle top. at the beginning. So I'm wondering if it's been restored. So you could see a little so bit more So maybe you detail. could see it a little better. Yeah, but yeah. he still is present in that scene yeah, yeah, regardless. Yeah. Um, so then we're introduced to Gaston and uh, LeFou. LeFou. Which and I forgot to ask Shane this, but I believe LeFou is the fool. Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah, LeFou. I believe so. I believe I read that. Uh, and you basically get Gaston and his perspective and how he's seeking out Belle. And then an explosion happens. And she goes <laughs> to the house because it's Maurice. And that's when you find out that they all think he's crazy. And she's like, no, he's a genius. And she sticks up for her father. And she's very much like very adamant and, and believes in what he's doing. All these inventions. Can I back up one second and say something I want to say about the musical? One thing I do like about musicals, because I know I, I speak poorly of them on here a bit. 
I like anything where one character is trying to do something while everyone else is doing the Broadway thing of dancing or whatever. And then like it, they do it a lot in this where it's like Gaston's trying to get to Belle and everyone's like crossing in front of me like, bonjour, bonjour, Belle. And they all get in front of her and sing. Yeah. Yeah, And and she's reading. And again, she's oblivious to them. This is all going around around her. It's kind of meta where like he is wanting to do something else. He's like, oh, there's a musical happening around me. They do it a little bit with Cogsworth is in Be, Be Our Guest where he's like, tr- like, but they're actually performing something. But I just like that joke of like, people in real life, no one would be like turning and building a wall to sing at Bell, and then someone would be like, excuse me. Like, I just yeah. like that comedy. So, mm-hmm. sorry. No, that's fine. So we find out that he's coming up with this invention to take it to the fair and she's very, she believes in him and there's something really sweet about that and you can see they have a very close relationship and it's this invention to chop wood so we see it and it works and mm-hmm. they're all super excited the two of them and so he goes off on his way with Felipe the horse and his invention to go to the fair he gets turned around he doesn't really know where he goes and there's this shot <laughs> of a very clear here's a sunny beautiful path and then here's like dark gloomy like stay out of there. It's very like horror movie esque, where it's like, why would you make that choice, right? Like you shouldn't make that choice. And is it Philippe who originally decides, or is Philippe trying to go to the sunny path? He's trying to go to the sunny path, That's and he's right. like, why do you want to go this other way? Yeah. Shane was saying, and we'll look this up later, that there was something with his founder where the founder let the horse lead the way. Choose the path. Choose the path. Yeah. So. Um. So yeah. So that happens, and he and Maurice chooses the scarier path, and Felipe runs off pretty quickly into like this scary path hearing Mm -hmm. sounds not seeing we don't see wolves at this point but we might hear them um and felipe's gone with the invention and so maurice ends up wandering and finds the castle Mm -hmm. in this way and so that's when we're introduced to cogsworth and lumiere and for me like lumiere i think if you ask me who's my favorite character it's lumiere don't sleep film. on Cogsworth, though. Yeah, I don't. Cogsworth, I think I was thinking the same thing going into it. By the end, I was like, I really like Cogsworth. Yeah, I like Cogsworth a lot as well, but both from a child and now, and I love Jerry Orbach. Like, just everything about <laughs> Lumiere for me is just They talked a lot in the documentary about how each character is picked, what their household item is by with their character. So you've got a high-strung, like a, high, a wound oh, tight clock, and you've got yeah. a fiery, passionate candelabra mm-hmm. and a bubbly, like... Um, um, warm teapot like yeah. they, they, oh, uh, they yeah, sat down sense. and that's why they are who they are mm-hmm. or why they are what they are what they are yeah, yeah. no that makes sense um, so they get Maurice cozy by the fire and Cogsworth is very nervous like no you can't do this like what about the master and he's like well he's cold he's wet like we need to get him <laughs> by the fire so it's this whole thing and then the beast comes out and you are terrified of him like you as he's the viewer scary. he's very scary you as the viewer Maurice and they do this thing with the play on shadows and they do this when Belle meets Beast for the first time to where the characters can't really see what he looks like when he's in the shadows like we as the viewer can see him a little bit better than Mm -hmm. they can Um, and so that happens here and so Maurice is absolutely terrified of him he's very intense he's very scary. And then it cuts back to Gaston, who I said was very arrogant that he had the whole wedding set up ahead of time, not knowing her answer. But Shane made a good point that that's kind of how things worked. Like um, proposals and things like that worked very differently back then. But he gets everybody set up assuming he's going to propose and immediately be married. Like it's going to happen one after the other very quickly. Well, LeFou is going to strike up the band. Yes, and then they've got the... 
They've got the like wedding arch or whatever that is. Like yes. everything is set up for them. Can to we get talk married. a little bit about his like uh, his fan club? Oh, the girls who fawn over him. I, yes. They're just a little too busty for me for a Disney movie for me. In that they not only they're drawn that way, but also like their clothes. Like it's a lot of cleavage. There's a lot of cleavage in this movie. For Ma- with the three of them, you no. Mean. There's like there's. There's a joke where the beginning where he's like, "How is your wife?" and he's staring at this woman with big cleavage. Oh, There's the yes. when the 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 uh, feather duster becomes normal. She's boobing out as well, but um, boobing out <laughs> or jugging out is what I used to say. Um, but uh, um, when they're pumping the water thing, like it bumps their one of their breasts and like moves it and i'm like yeah I didn't that's a weird that, like thing to draw because like you gotta remember it's like one second on screen but someone's like i'm gonna make this little joke in here and i was yeah. like there's a little bit of that in here that i'm not too but i also like when they're it cuts everyone being like oh you're so funny guest on at the wedding and, then and, cut everyone's to them and they're so crying. excited about him yeah to get married and they're sobbing yeah that was a good cut so he opens the door, or he like knocks on the door, and this is where we see another one of Maurice's inventions. So I like that we see more than one invention, which is kind of like yes, what becomes a people peepholes that we call it. Yeah, that's yeah. in the door. Yeah, like nowadays you just go up to the door and look in, and he's got like this whole system on how to see who's at the door. And it's kind of how bell sees gaston he's kind of warped and weird and not yeah. really as perfect as mm-hmm. he really is and so she opens the door and he's you know trying to persuade her to marry and she's trying to let him down gently like at first she doesn't like outwardly say no and she's like i'm not i don't think she says i'm not good enough for you but she has she does she says i don't deserve you i don't deserve you but That's she's it. being facetious yes. she's like get out of my house yeah and so she opens the door as he's like walking backwards and he falls into the mud and it's, this is, you know, again, it's a, it's a situation of a man kind of, like, cornering a woman, which well, I know was very scary in 101 Dalmatians. This one, she never feels not in charge. Because she feels like, yeah, she feels like she's in control, whereas in 101 Dalmatians that Nanny was not in control of that situation. Belle very much feels like, um, and maybe we can talk about it here, Belle is a very strong feminine princess. Or feminine yes. is maybe not the word I want to use. What I mean is she's very independent and it's you know it from moment one like she's not going with the green she's going against the green she knows what she believes in her heart she's trying to find where she fits in like where is her place like in society Mm -hmm. in her role as like caring for her father all of these things but she's such a strong i think a strong princess in that way and we haven't really seen that i think ariel is that as well but besides ariel we haven't really seen this and she also standing up to the beast we see this later she doesn't cower from him she's afraid of him when she first sees him but she still like stands up for herself and takes her father's place without thinking about it and also when um when this whole scene is happening she never she never gives in like gaston is essentially like you said trying to wear her down and she's like no this is not what i want for my life like well, i'm not gonna do yeah this. you also get the idea that this isn't a new thing yes for gaston because ta- i've done this before yeah. but i don't know i know that's a little bit of a tangent but i did want to talk about i i really appreciate a lot of the strengths and the way that they portrayed her mm. in this film um but then it goes into that reprise that I mentioned earlier that's so beautiful, her I Want song, when she's out there talking about she wants adventure in the great wide somewhere and, you know, 
um, she's out in this field, and there's just a really, be- it's just very beautiful, that whole scene. Howard Ashman's lyrics are so, like, poetic, which I know is kind of a silly thing to say about a lyricist, but I just, mm-hmm. like, like watching it with subtitles, I'm like, oh, like, it's, it, it's like, it's like studying, not, you know, something like Shakespeare, it's like studying for English. I'm like, this is really good, and this is really, like, yeah. these words mean something that are really, like, personal, not personal to me, but just, like, it's more than just the usual Disney, like, here's a song. I don't yeah. Know. Uh, so then Felipe comes back, and that's how she knows something is wrong, because her father is not with Felipe, and Felipe still, like, brings back the invention. And so um, then we cut back to the castle, and I wrote, I love the banter between Cogsworth and Lumiere, and this is throughout, mm-hmm. but they're kind of bantering back and forth. Um, and she enters and this is where this banter kicks in with them like should they should they let her in the castle like should they lead her and you made a good point they lead her to her father she probably wouldn't have mm-hmm. found her father otherwise they like open a door i think in Shane front of made her. that point but yeah. yeah um and kind of guide her to that way and so she sees her father and what we find out is she takes his place he's sick he's cold um the beast comes in again very looming very intense and she can't see him, and she asks him to step into the light. And she is frightened by him, but not so much that she runs away or cowers away. She she sees what her fate is going to be, and she takes it in place of her father at that moment. And that's, I think, the first moment that you see the beast. I don't know if it's vulnerability, but you see the beast being very surprised that she's going to take her father's place. I think he, has like, he has this moment of, oh, you're... You're going to take his place. I think he's he impressed ex- with how much she cares. He doesn't expect her to do that. Because the whole idea is like he doesn't know love. And he's seeing it here not towards him but towards someone else. Yeah. Like the idea of like this woman can care for someone. Yeah. Um, and so then we see that living carriage take him away. That has like that it's spider cicada, sound. Yeah. Cicada. Yeah. yeah. I was like that's... Uh, menacing and then she's very surprised at him early on because cogsworth and lumiere kind of talk him into put her in a room not in the dungeon and so she's surprised she's like oh i'm not staying here he's like no i'll show you to your room so there's moments early on i know we said um with their transformation but there are glimmers of that with both of them well i think they do a good job of like they they say it to him he's like do you want to go? So she's like, you don't want me to stay in here? He's like, do you want to? Like, he's such a good, petulant, he's very angry teenager. Yeah, very short-tempered. And they play that to humor a little bit as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They, the- should, they they want, he wants her to join for dinner, but it isn't an invitation at this point. It's, you are coming to dinner. Yes. Like, we're going to have dinner. And it's not a request. And she, again, she stands up for herself and stands up for the situation she's in. She's like, no. I'm not going to join you for dinner. And so I think that also shows a strong character moment for I, her. And I think it works to make Beast rethink things because he was a prince before. He was used to everyone saying yes. He's a big menacing creature, so he just screams. Well, and all his servants are... That's the thing is all of the inanimate objects, you can tell they care for him, but they are also terrified at him mm-hmm. in moments. Like, they shudder as well when his temper gets How out many of, of them do you think he broke? I like don't that know. didn't make it this far. Yeah. How many? Like, oh, that's a sad, I'm just a saying. sad, sad thought. But um, so yeah. So we cut back to the tavern, and 
that's when we hear the Gaston song, which we've talked about, uh, which we will talk about um, a little bit in depth when we do the villain ranking. We kind of went mm-hmm. into a lot about the song. But everyone is gushing over Gaston here. And Maurice comes in and kind of interrupts everything to say, like, Belle's been captured. And at first, everyone's like, oh, my gosh, like, what's happening? And they're trying to get more information. And as he describes that, She's in danger from a beast. No one believes him. Yeah. And this is where they think he's crazy. They crazy throw him out. Old Maurice. Yeah. And then that's when Gaston develops this plan that he's going to lock him up in an asylum unless Bell says yes. He doesn't know that Bell's gone. One of the things I was thinking of about how much I really this time around enjoyed Kill the Beast, uh more than I have, I think, in the past. Gaston doesn't sing Gaston. Like, I always forget that. It's LeFou singing most of Gaston. Mm-hmm. Gaston sings a little... But he's got that crazy operatic singing voice. And yeah. you really get to hear it in Kill the Beast. But I do like the little bit who's like, um... It's silly, but it's like... When he does his when reprise... When he sings about the eggs and stuff, too. Oh, that, and then the, the reprise The reprise is well. mostly him. And that's yes. when you get that very... His his voice is just fascinating. Even though he just looks like the saxophone player from Huey Lewis in the News. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, so then it cuts back to where Belle meets Chip, Mrs. Potts, in the wardrobe. They're trying to get her ready for dinner to encourage her to go down with the Beast. And the Beast becomes very angry, waiting for her. And eventually she tells Cogsworth no, and Cogsworth has to relay uh-huh. that news. And that's a moment where you see he's very nervous to tell him that she's not going to come down for dinner. And so uh, they're trying to coach the Beast at this point. And I, it was interesting because... I don't think they're manipulative of Belle, but I was thinking a lot about these inanimate objects. Their motivation is obviously they want to be people again, right? Like, they are helping him, but they're helping him because they want to be people again. And so it is interesting because for them to help him, they have to help her. And so I think they feel honest that they do really like her. Yes. But I got, like, this kind of weird, like... Not icky feeling, but kind of like I, they have an ulterior motive that she doesn't know about here. Yeah, but I also... I think it was done honestly. Yeah, I think but, they do it in a way that doesn't make it seem yeah. schemey, but it's also like they've got like three days to like not be this anymore. I don't know. It's just like yeah. I understand their motivation and they seem like kind enough people even when that motivation is fulfilled... Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying that, there's but a, it was an interesting way to think about it. There's I think. a st- you get their, you know, arc a little bit more is we need to make her fall in love with him. Oh, we really like Belle. Oh, look at them come together. Like, and then at the yeah. end, there's a little bit of like, oh, this could work. Like, it's not like yeah, we have to make this work. Like, it starts working organically, and they kind of fall back into just being genuinely good people or yeah, things. <laughs> things. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Um. So as they're trying to, you know, talk her and get her ready for dinner, he's getting his temper, is getting, you know, shorter and shorter, his fuse, and they're trying to coach him to be a gentleman. So there's a little bit of humor here in, like, how he should be a gentleman. Is this where they doll him up, or is that later? That's later, when they give him a haircut. (laughs) I love that scene. Uh, So then um, he goes to the door, and that's where his temper, they're coaching him to be a gentleman. Goes to the door, he gets super angry, and he basically storms off. But I think that's a, she refuses. She doesn't want to join him. I in think that that's moment. a good thing to learn from this. I think it's a good thing for any of you parents out there to teach your young men um, in your lives is that you still need to be polite, but that doesn't necessarily mean that doesn't entitle you to a woman saying yes. 
And I also think there's something to be said about if somebody's going to berate you and yell at you that you don't have to engage in that. Mm-hmm. I think she very much shuts that down. Yes. I, but she's also polite. She goes, yeah, it would make me very happy. She's like, no, thank you. Like, yeah. So after all of that happens, she wants to go explore. So she leaves the room. She wants to explore. She finds the kitchen. And then one of the best scenes, Be Our Guest, happens. It's so good. I love yes. this song. I love this scene. You. It's also clear that like they've not been able to entertain anyone in a very long time. So they're pulling out like all the stops, like cooking all the things for her, doing this like elaborate display of everything. And you can see that that's what they've wanted to do for such a long time. And there's been nobody there to do that. For I'll, her. I'll post this in the Facebook group or wherever, but the, uh, the be our guest scene from the um, Tokyo Disney beauty and the beast ride is pretty impressive mm. the way they like, cause you're in that room for a long time and they're moving throughout. You're it. in a teacup and they like turn you to look at something else. And when you turn back, they flipped everything. Like, oh, they do all this cool. stuff to like, cause it starts off and it's just a, tiny room dark room with a long table and her which one is how that starts air. that's how and the then, song starts and then yeah. think, by the time to the end it's there's a billion things in the room you didn't see were there that's great i love that um so after dinner she wants to look around the castle cogsworth says we'll take you on a tour and he's giving like all these factual information about the baroque period and if it's not baroque don't fix it he has that joke in there uh and so i remember that joke so well i'm sure i've used that joke like yeah. i just also him like <laughs> and gets a little tear yes, and like wipes it yeah away. so he's so pleased with himself and then he talks about oh you don't want to go up there that's the west wing and we found out earlier that beast said you can go anywhere, anywhere but the west, but the west wing. wing and so now she knows where the west wing is because she's trying to go up the steps and cogsworth kind of slips and says what it is so they're trying to distract her and they say there's a library and she lights up at this and they get so excited and they're kind of sing-songy and they go off and they don't pay attention that she's not following them. Mm-hmm. And so she continues to go up the stairs um, and that's when she sees the rose. And that's when Beast comes in again, very aggressive, very intense. And, you know, she's about to lift the the glass up off the rose and, you know, you had the comment of, like, what was the big deal? But when the last well, rose petal falls, everything's done. Like, right, but I don't know if they've said anything like she could knock more rose petals off. Like, I feel like if they wanted to But I don't that, know that he knows that, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think he's just like, don't touch this. This is enchantment stuff. I didn't yeah. know if I'd miss something where they'd specifically said... Oh, Shane, I see. Shane made the point that she was going to do what Ariel did when she's like, he loves me, he loves oh, me not. And yeah. he comes and he's like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have very different set of consequences there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then she runs off, she leaves and she takes Felipe, Felipe, we find out has stayed behind and she runs off. And then that's where this gets pretty dark. And this part is pretty scary. And the beast in general, apparently up to this yeah. point is somewhat scary thinking about like children watching it. I mean, I watched it relatively it's young, intense, but, but there are moments, but the wolves corner her and she does a pretty good job i like how they she goes to save felipe like it's not just her getting yeah, away yeah and then felipe they get, standing up yeah like, and the wolves circle around him and then that's when she jumps yeah, in yeah and i think that shows her in the light you're saying as less of a damsel in distress and more of a she's not a physically imposing figure but she is brave and she, and she will try and help her sense. you know yeah yeah and so beast comes to save her and my thought is, you see them walking back to the castle. How did Belle 
get the beast up on Felipe because he had passed out after well, getting attacked by the wolves. I thought about this. Maybe Felipe like laid and got they, down like, and rolled. she like tried. You know, it's He's probably still, easy. It's still that he weighs like. 600 and that's like quote unquote dead weight because he's like passed out so yeah. he's not helping her but yeah so that was just um that was a eric statue in ariel's grotto moment but then it cuts back to the castle um and her trying to care for him and i wrote here she doesn't back down so this is another moment where like he's saying oh it hurts and i don't want you to do this and she's very he's being matter- a little baby again. yeah but she's very matter of fact with him and she's mm-hmm. very stern with him which i think is what he needs then it cuts to gaston in the asylum plan so we find out what he wants to do um to try to get Belle to marry him and to try to get rid of maurice and the voice of the guy who is tony J. the asylum becomes frollo he's done a couple other things i think he did I think he was the narrator in the Black Cauldron. He's done a few Disney Mm. things. So then we cut back to the castle, and now we're out in the snow. And this is a very kind of magical, whimsical moment. This is when they're falling in love, you know, and we're seeing it um, through that lens. And, uh, you know, the Beast says he wants to do something special for her. And they talk about uh, what they should do. And they're like, Oh, I have an idea. And it's the library. And he mm-hmm. makes her close her eyes, which is kind of a fun moment. Cause then he waves his hand he, in front to make sure her eyes he are closed. He has a good bit of business there. I also like when he throws open the curtains and her eyes are still closed. And she does this kind of like, like she feels sunlight on her face. Yes. I don't know yeah. why I really like this whole scene. I said it while we were watching it. Like it just fell so flat for me in the live action. And in this one, it's a really exciting moment because we know how much she loves to read, right? Yeah. They set that up so early on. We know that she's really going to enjoy this library. And then when we, we the viewer, get to see the library before she does. Like, as they walk into the room, as he opens the blinds, you see that it's just wall-to-wall books everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a really special moment. And then it cuts to them eating. And I love that. He's trying to be more refined to eat with silverware, and it's really awkward. And she goes him halfway, and they just drink the soup out of the bowl instead of using spoons. So I like that they meet each other halfway there. That's a sweet moment. And then uh, the song "Something There" happens. Yeah, and it's kind of like a meet cute, but also explaining where they are emotionally. Yes, and then that's when they show the beast taking a bath. So that's yes, because then they they cut to that and they show him and they doll him all up and the first thing they doll him up he's got all these curls and, and this... like a bow and he, yeah. well, he ends up with a ponytail in mm-hmm. that thing but like they kind of meet him halfway i like refined beast yes i also like so that so he they do the the beauty and the beast song they have dinner they go and they dance and there's a part where she puts her head on him and he looks so happy i wrote that too yeah i wrote but then beast he looks at, so happy but yeah. then he looks at lumiere and cogsworth like Guys, it's she likes me. It's so good. It's it's a really good moment, and it's a really you can. It's a genuine feeling that you can identify with. The beast. They do such a good job of giving him like he has such a range of emotions on that face. Probably because it's not a human face and it's not bound to the constraints. Like Mm -hmm. so, they're able to make him like terrifying, and then make him look so human and so happy. And I think that contrast you you can even identify those moments more when he's really excited or really happy. Yes. Uh, And the whole dancing scene of Beauty and the Beast is just very kind of entrancing, right? Seeing them dance around that ballroom. The ballroom done in CG and looks so gorgeous. Like 
her dress it's such an iconic yeah. scene mm-hmm. and it's so it's so good yeah so then they go out to the balcony and she shares that she misses her father and so he brings her the mirror and he's like you know i can i can show you and she realizes that um he's sick he's you know he's not doing well um, because he goes back out to look for her. None of the townspeople will help him. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, if I have to go out by myself, I'm going to go. So he goes and, he and packs, is now lost in the woods. And he packs a bunch of maps. Yes. A a compass and an astrolabe <laughs> and a pair of long underwear. And just, I was like, and what just, is he like, packing? sets out, yeah. yeah. Um, and so as she sees that, she's pretty upset. And he says you're no longer my prisoner you can go to him i think they do this in a good way because i think us the audience have almost kind of forgot she's a prisoner too and i feel like that's what we're supposed to feel with the characters is he's like you know not like he's been like you've been a prisoner this whole time she's been like am i not a prisoner i'm not a prisoner but she just goes they both seem to have forgotten this arrangement and he's like get out of here and i think if she'd just gone and not gone you mean i'm free like when she does that it does sound like she's been like I've been thinking about this every day and it brings it, but if you just been like, go to him and she's she like, was, okay. She was like, oh, she was surprised yeah. that he was letting her, but I agree with you. That feeling of being a prisoner isn't there as much as it is right, in the beginning. Right, right, right. Um, so then he gives her the mirror to say, so you can always look back. So that's the other moment too. Uh, and then he seems to resign himself into that. She's not coming back. Yes. And that like, if she wants to look back at him, at them, she can yeah. essentially. So she finds her father, she brings him home. And this is when we realize that chip has kind of been stowed away. He like, yes. leaves with her in the bag. And then that's when the guy who's in charge of the asylum and it is the asylum of loons is on, uh, the carriage that's to take him Pretty away. Pretty rough. Yeah, not a great moment. But uh, that's when Maurice starts talking about the Beast and they're all laughing at him. And she's being genuine here. I don't think she realizes that this is going to be turned. But she's like, no, look. Like, I'll show you the Beast. Like, he's real. My father's not making him up. My father's not crazy. And when she shows them, everyone is kind of scared at first. But she's like, no, he's handsome. He wouldn't hurt anybody. Like, he's really gentle. And you can see Gaston look at her and know, I've lost Belle. Yeah. Like, you can see at this point that he's like, oh, she's, she cares for him. And she calls him a friend at this point. She calls the Beast a friend. But you can tell that Gaston is, like, over it. And he incites this riot. And the way he does it. You can associate a lot of feelings with everything that's come out, even in the last year. But just how he's planting the seed about he's going to go off with your children and it's... He's othering the bees. Yeah, yeah. And and just planting these seeds of things that haven't happened, but he's like, but they could. So I'm going to scare you into it with fear to make you do what I want you to do. And there's a lot of things that you can identify with in current situations i, I will say if that. uh the proud boys would sing uh, with the singing voices gaston i may be more likely to join in their cause because <laughs> uh do you really want that on no tape? i don't i don't i don't but i also like i do want to say that yes there's it's hard in this environment watching this and thinking like oh they're all gonna grab tiki torches and do you know what they did yeah but he's very convincing he's very convincing he's very convincing the song brings up like i was i i, I yeah I, you know it, by the end you're like sure let's do this and it's low-key may have become my favorite song it's a really one. great it's song good. but and it is very strong with pushing everything forward as well and, and i think they do this in a couple of like pocahontas has a kill the beast song don't they the one where they're like yeah, let's go to war savages it's, not what it's, called. it's savages is that what it's called? and i think so 
Um, but it's it's both of them like singing back and forth. Yeah, yeah it's like both. Um, well, we can go into it when we get to it. But yeah, it's this becomes both the colonists kind of a, as well as this becomes like a Disney staple song. Yeah. So they wind up trapping Belle and Maurice kind of in the basement or the storm cellar is what it, it kind of seems to be. Um, so you're seeing all the townspeople getting ready to prepare to fight. And as they're at the door of the castle and they've got the giant like log to break down the door, we notice that lyric, 50 Frenchmen can't be wrong. So guys, Shane has come back. He has done his religious duties. I'm sorry if this <laughs> makes the timing of the podcast more awkward, uh, but here no, we are. No, it's great. It was very exciting surprise. But yes, we were talking about um, the 50 Frenchmen can't be wrong. And as you said, Shane, indeed they can. Uh, yes. And so then that's when the fight happens between all of the objects, uh, you know, and it's such a great scene. And there's a lot of humor played in this as well. I love uh, Lumiere when he's pretending to be when they're trying to be like just in the, the design with just the little eyes, the little L's for his eyes. Mm-hmm. But I do like when they pick up, he's like, now, and they're all just, yeah. I, well, was, I like when they walk in and it's just like this cluster of furniture. Yes. Like it looks like they were moving out. Yes. Very inconspicuous. Exactly. <laughs> One thing I noticed was the shadow of the guy holding the mace and the mace kept hitting him in the head. I was like, why not just let go? <laughs> like, <why>? <laughs> <laughs> he, he kept being convinced that like, maybe he could use this it to fight would be back. different. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so then it cuts back to Chip and he gets the, the wood chopping machine, the invention mm. going. And that's how he frees Belle and Maurice. And then they're kind of on their way to head to the castle as well. So that's happening. And then um, all the townspeople wind up running away. And there's like this very triumphant victory. Like everyone is cheering that they've kind of held their own, you know, and they fought back all the townspeople away from the castle. And then it cuts to Beast alone in a room. Well, and yeah, Gaston is kind of is kind of sneaking through the castle, but looking it's for the beast. Fun. It's almost funny because he's like, the beast could know. It's just like, yeah, no, I don't care. Like no one's attacking him. But he's like, like I almost wanted to be like sneak, sneak, sneak. Like, yeah, I don't know. yeah. You know, I, he, he's he's got some uh, what's his face uh, from Emperor's New Groove energy there, where uh, he's he, oh Kronk, Kronk. Thank you. Like like he should be singing his own theme music, um, kind yes. of like moving yeah. through. The muted bass. Dum, 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 oh, dum. you know in his head he's like, no one sneaks like Gaston. Yeah. <laughs> well, and like, why is nobody attacking him? He's clearly like the biggest threat. Like, they're all attacking these little wiry dudes while we let the big beefy guy just charge through. Anyway. Yeah. But at this point, the beast has truly given up. And you can see that. You know, he 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 thinks it's done. I mean, there's like one rose petal left. Bell has left. Now all these people are coming to attack. He's basically just given up. And so Gaston tries to fight him. He shoots the arrow at him, tries to fight oh, him. Oh, yeah, hits him. Yeah, yeah, and he's just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Like, very, very much, like, kind of come to terms with what's happening. And this is where Gaston starts to look wild. Like, his hair is down. It's in his face. He's got kind of, like, the crazy eyes going a little bit. And that, the minute that... Uh, the beast hears Belle and realizes she came back for him. She came back to help. Yeah. That's when mm. his motivation turns. I love when he grabs it and it's like, now it's on. Like I just yeah. that feeling of like you like you are now you're all in big, big trouble. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, and then that moment where Gaston pleads with him, mm-hmm. pleads with him for his life, and 
and in the beginning of the film, you know that the beast would have just dropped him without thinking about it. Yeah. And you, you see the emotion again on his face change to let him go. And then he goes to Belle and he climbs up. Belle, I guess, made it very quickly from the entrance all the way up to that castle. Out on that she knows the castle very well by that point. That oh, is yeah, true. Yeah. She does know it well by now. Um, but he climbs up to meet her and then that's when she sees Gaston and that's another really intense moment seeing him come from like in the shadows and he winds up stabbing him Mm -hmm. in the side and then he falls from a very great height. He apparently, if you pause that, you can see like skull and crossbones in his eyes as he's about to fall. Really? Wow. Yeah. Oh, like, wow. Right as he's about to fall, like, oh, no. So so he definitely does not survive that fall then. I think that would would be the implication. Yeah. Um, and Unless then, there's like a friendly mattress salesman down, at the, I don't know, someone like <laughs> I need the to, wardrobe catches yeah, him. Yeah, I need to move yeah. these pillows, and this is the only time to do it in the rain. I don't know, just something down there. Uh, but then we see the beast, and the beast and Bell have this really powerful moment between one another, and he's like, "I'm glad I could see you one huh. last time." And this, I read that they wanted it to feel like a tragedy. They wanted the viewer to not be sure if he was going to come back to life or not. And I think it does. I, yes, it's a Disney film, but I think it has that feeling where there is a moment where you're like, oh, maybe this is like how it's going to be. If this was you know, truly a French theme. film, yes. that's how it would yes. have been. <laughs> that is true. And there's a pause. Like they pause it in a way that, you know, makes you kind of second guess what you think might happen when she says when he dies or you know his what is it his hitch points drop down to zero and he has to do a death roll he's, he's in bleed out yeah he she says i love you and that you know we talk about how this movie wasn't as empowering as it wasn't as impactful as little mermaid but that scene really got to me like you know yeah. I, I i does anybody else have this i've started i i think people do but i've never actually asked it's a feeling i have where it's like if this feeling persisted, I would cry. But it's just like that welling up. You feel, yeah. I feel it in my eyes and my chest. You feel it like, like, build up, oh! but it like, doesn't actually, like, yeah. I'm not crying, but I'm like, oh, if this continued for 30 seconds, there would be tears. But yeah. right now I'm just like, it's like, start your engines for tears is what it feels yeah. like. Well, and it is just a very touching moment. And the minute she says that, then everything starts to transform. Yes. But not the objects yet. The objects don't transform until she kisses him. Mmm. Like, then they show that. But, yeah, the castle transforms, and he transforms. It's interesting to me, the because the, the, the I love you there, like, I agree, like, it's a very well-constructed moment, but it's it doesn't feel like an earned I love you. Like, and it, 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 the same note about the accelerated timelines of these kinds of things. But I'm comparing it to the, like, when you have magic that involves true love, um, which which Disney likes to do a lot, but I'm thinking specifically of Little Mermaid, like, but but we see the contract succeeding there. Like the true love does not happen within three days, and it takes her father's magic at the end. But here it's like, okay, yeah. was this was this enough love that like the enchantress's spell should be broken? Like I, I, I don't know. I think that's partially why the enchantress again they're trying to like answer questions that aren't necessarily done well. But in the live action one, like she's actually a character. Right. And she shows up and goes, okay, bam, like. But did that make it better, though? Like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, she was... I, I, I like the idea of her seeing this whole... Like, I, the viewer, watched this movie, and I was happy of their true love, so I was cool with Sure, so and it's a fairy I tale. Enchantress watching the movie, yeah. Yeah. But as that happens, we then see they dance, and it 
ends with the stained glass. So it ends with them. Yes. Stained glass is how it ends. I have a question. Okay. Did Mrs. Potts get with uh, Belle's dad? Maurice, yeah, they have like kind of a loving moment. But I don't know if it's just like they're both happy for their kids. Like she's just happy that Chip is like a kid again. And like, but and they yeah. all kind of look very similar, so that's why I'm like, they must be a couple now. But they do have kind of this look that they give one another at the end. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just wonder if anybody else read into that like I did. No, what it's, do you think, Shane? Well, it's like the same way, like, yeah, it's like we'll pair the old people up. It's the same way, like, 90s TV shows would, like, pair up the two black characters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just kind of like, well, they're going to date now. And you're like, why? Because, you know, look at them. And, well, because yeah. apparently... Mrs. Potts is, oh, what was I going to say? How old do we think Mrs. Potts was when she had Chip? Because she he's a very young boy. She's, she could also be like a foster parent. Doesn't have to be her biological child. Because if you remember, there was that whole cupboard. Like, those can't all be her yeah, children. Yeah, all yeah. those. So yeah. she, she runs an orphanage as a side hustle. <laughs> I feel like that would have been a point that the Enchantress could have taken into account if uh, if she had known about Fair. that. It's like, man, this man's horrific, but look, he's providing a home for these orphans. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So we have our questions we ask at the end, and uh, we're going to go over those real quick. Oh, I'm glad I made it back in time. <laughs> so first off, how was the princess? And this one, unlike some of our other movies, it's easy to establish the princess. This one, it's Belle. Yes, and I kind of gushed on her independence earlier, but I'm curious about your thoughts, Shane. But I really felt um, she kind of was, she was very commanding, and she was very much like, you know, this is who I am, and I have to kind of find my place in it. But... She didn't really back down, not from Gaston or from the Beast in moments. I will say, Belle is also interesting in that she doesn't butt up against authority figures that we ever see. It's not like Ariel disobeying her father or something. Like, there's nobody... Like, the Beast tells her not to go to the... Like, that West Wing, like, that kind of thing. But we don't see, like... Her dad doesn't try to stop her from going. Yeah. and Or, like, there's no, like, town mayor that says, like, Oh, girls shouldn't read or something. So... That it, we see that independence, but it's also never directly challenged. Um, so, so I, 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 I don't think that's a negative because I think you're right in that she is very motivated and driven. But we never, we never see her pushed back on in that regard either. We were talking a little bit about how I, I did like how she's not physically, uh, uh, I want to say opposing. Is that the word I'm looking for? Like, like the Gaston and the Beast are 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 her physical superiors and that never deters her from speaking her mind and doing what she thinks she should do against either one of them. And I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. I don't think I liked her as much as Ariel. Like Ariel's quirky and fun. And yeah. Like I agree that. with you. And I Belle's like Belle's not necessarily that, but I think Belle's very strong. I think she's princess. a solid princess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's not my favorite princess, but I think she's again, if, if we're going to, who would you rather hang out with? Where? Yeah, exactly. Then Ariel again, wins that by, by a landslide. A sea how slide. Is the prince, <laughs> yes. How is how is the prince? I feel like this is probably the strongest prince in a princess movie we've had in a while. I don't know about a romantic protagonist, but he's shares the billing with her. Mm. The, oh, the yes. beast, you know, as opposed to like other ones where it's like Snow White and there's also a prince or mm-hmm. whatever. This was about the prince. In fact, it was his story in a lot of ways. Mm. I like him more as the beast than, well, we don't really get to see him when he's transformed back into the prince. I guess one could say he's always the prince, uh, <laughs> even though he's a beast. But yeah, I I like kind of seeing his trajectory, but I do think it's a little muddy. I think we've talked about that. Well, it's, it's funny because I feel like they kind of do this in Shrek. 
and then the the end is like him being hand like like where Fiona spoilers for Shrek. Um, Fiona doesn't change back from an ogre. She stays that way, and it doesn't matter what they look like. Yeah. I just think that's an interesting thing to kind of course correct here. I don't think it was really the point of this, mm-hmm. uh, but. I don't know. Well, see, that, that has me thinking about, like, my comment of, like, if the movie had ended without him transforming, that, like, a French movie would have done that. And now I'm wondering, like, yes. because obviously, like, it's a Disney movie, we know they're not going to do that, but th- just, like, bear with me for a second, like, into that alternate universe where they did, like, like, this movie's legacy immediately becomes far more interesting, I think, and, like, maybe it does win Best Picture, like, like, it, like if Disney could show that ability yeah. to surprise people that way, um... Like, like, like I, don't know, I, I, I feel like there, there's a whole other world out there where Beauty and the Beast had a sad ending, and and maybe, may, maybe there's a whole different kind of trajectory for the entire Walt Disney Company yeah. as a result of that. Um, the next question is, how were the sidekicks? Uh, I think this has very strong sidekicks, both on oh, the villain yeah. side and I mean, Lafu's funny. I actually, in hindsight, I don't think he's the best one, but the good guy Lumiere, sidekicks, Lumiere, Mrs. Cogsworth. Potts. You have like a whole. Yeah, I really enjoy yeah. all of them. Mm. How, what was you, what was everyone's favorite musical number? Oh man, that's always so I'm, hard for me. I'm gonna put you. We all know I like Gaston, but like I said earlier, I'm gonna push for Kill the Beast to become my dark horse favorite out of out of nowhere on this one. I'm currently sending you a link to that karaoke performance of me singing Gaston, so I think uh, I have to solidify yes. that as my. Are you okay with us posting that around? No, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> this is just for us. <laughs> Uh, I think I'm going to have, yeah, I'm going to think I'm going with Be Our Guest. I love that song. Yeah, it's very so good. So joyful. You, every time we talk about Classic. going to uh, any sort of Disney thing, you're I like, we have, have to go gray do gray stuff. stuff. Yes. That and um, <laughs> my brother also was in uh, like middle school version. So it was an abbreviated version of Beauty and the Beast, the musical, and he was Lumiere. So I don't know. I it just... was so funny because it's these big, huge like gloves that look like candles and it's like this Bic lighter worth of flame. Like, <laughs> things you used to like light. Yeah, it's just like obviously she's. Then they would just come off like scene. You can't have a big fire on stage. That's come yeah. on. That's exactly. Ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, now is our does it holds up uh, female character agency in this one? Pretty strong. I I feel like yeah. Yeah, I feel like that, and I feel like we've talked about it enough throughout. Drinking and smoking. I mean, they're all in a bar. I mean, they're in a tavern, drunk, but... and even in be our guests, there's like I mean, there's steins of beer, but like nobody's you... like chug a lugging or anything you, in the tavern well, they are but not in the uh in in do you notice that the steins had like a german accent and be our guest i yes. never noticed it because like i never noticed that before really they did i i completely missed that yeah and the thing that they said they said like and something but then in the subtitles was Unt, and i oh, was like really, really? That's <laughs> that's funny. That was funny um no it we open with gaston shooting a bird yeah there's so. a there's a but lot of gun mm. stuff there's he get he stabs the beast he shoots him with an He's arrow there's some intense arrow, like yeah. weaponry stuff um ethnic representation we've said it before this is an all-white cast doing an all-white like whatever oh for sure you know, there's not much there but and then we forgot to ask this when we recorded earlier this is all sorts of weird timeline guys but we we gotta ask does this go up on your shelf in a clamshell edition, or does it uh, get locked away in the vault? And I think it's a, I think it's a clamshell movie. Yeah, it goes up on my shelf. There's a much easier question with some of these than it will be for uh, Home on the Range. Um, so, <laughs> you love using that example. I what if I love it? What you if we might, watch? I'm like I really know. like. I almost want to ask Blake to do it because it's kind of a Texas movie. <laughs> 
But anyway, um, so I'm going to explain to uh, Shane a little bit about our villains ranking, guys, and we'll be right back. All right, so guys, we're back. Uh, uh, I have explained to Shane uh, the the our infallible scientific villain ranking, uh, and we are going to go through it now for, as those of you who've listened to this podcast before, someone who has historically been my favorite villain Although I will say after this, I still like him a lot, but like there's so many other good villains, someone may edge him out in my mind. But mm-hmm. regardless of whether I like him or not, is he scientifically the best villain? We're about to find and out. And we're about to find out. So let's start with everybody. Who wants to hit with uh, Frightening? So uh, j- just to be clear, so our audience understands, who are we talking about when we say the villain of we're this movie? Gaston. Okay. Because I, I don't think that's, you know, I think that's up for debate. For the purposes of this podcast, I'm willing to stipulate to it. But uh, I think... Who is... Are, are you saying the Beast you think would be the I villain? I think you can make an argument. Around? I think you can make an argument that the Beast and Gaston are sort of equally villains in, in, in this. Or rather that Gaston is more sympathetic than most villains and the Beast is more um, non-sympathetic than most heroes. And so that's the weird both thing. of them kind of exist in that gray space. And ah. that's how the animators saw it as well, like when we talked about it in the beginning. So that's it is interesting. interesting. I, I came around on this side a little bit more towards the Beast. I I liked Gaston less. Like I was more like, oh, this guy's slimy and I don't like him. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so let's let's start off with Frightening. Do we? So, we're, so are we going to rank both of them or n- just Gaston? No, just we Gaston. just do Gaston. Okay. But I wanted to lay that out there as a potential... You know, confounding factor. Yeah, no, I I kind of agree. I think he, I think Gaston maintains being the villain. Like he starts off as a as a jerk, and he ends up being a full on villain. And the Beast starts off as a villain and ends up as a hero. As a hero, and we talked about that with Amos Slade having that redemption at the end of his yeah in Fox and the Hound. But his is so like his he does one thing in... at the very end, and yeah. it's like okay. But the Beast, I think the whole thing is about his redemption. They said in the uh, um, documentary that. Howard Ashman pitched everybody. He's like, I don't think this is Bell's story. This is the Beast story because Bell doesn't really change throughout this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's your classic like person who changes is the is at least the protagonist. Um, yeah, and that, and, oh, and that's why like a lot of times you'll you'll hear writers or story people refer to antagonist instead of villain because you end up with these situations like this where it's not clear cut yes. who who would be a villain per se, but obviously for the sake of like. Talking about ranking Disney villains, yeah. Yes, I think that's a very good point. I think the Beast, 100%, we can all agree, he starts off as the antagonist of this yes. movie. Yes, that's a very good point. Um, so, here we go. Gaston, we're mm-hmm. done talking about the Beast. We're talking about <laughs> the, 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 the no, one spit, no one gets ranked like Gaston, mm. and he <laughs> ranks what for frightening to you guys? I, I mean, I, I don't think he's terribly frightening, per se. Uh, you know, like, he is an imposing figure, but he... He is not terribly threatening. Like, the thing to me, the thing that struck me this time is that it is actually very important to him that Belle consents to marry him. Like, he, he's definitely, he's definitely creepy, and I will, I will give him that. And like, the whole, like, you know, not taking no for an answer, but like, he also doesn't try to force her into anything, and it's, he, he needs her to want to, to accept him. He's not Bluto from Popeye. Right. So I think uh, from that perspective, I would say he's a little less frightening. So this is what, scale one to five? Yes. So from Bell's perspective, I would say frightening, he's like a two. If I was like a deer or something, he would be like a five. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I look at it as 
Like, the fact that he has the power in that town to lock Maurice up, like, the fact that he pays for somebody to lock Maurice up, and the end scene, like, in my notes I wrote, like, how wild he gets. Like, his hair, like, he's full out, like, crazed when he goes to kill the You might say bestial. Yes, yeah. yeah, he takes on those traits. Like, they take on one another's traits a little bit. Like, the beast becomes a little bit more charming, and then he becomes more aggressive and more mm-hmm. animalistic. So for me, it's between a three and a four because of those two specific plot points. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also agree with what you're saying as well. But I think I'm going to give him, I really want to give him a 3.5. I just don't know if I want to give him a four or not. Um, but I think that those two points, like it's pretty intense that he can just like lock Maurice up and use that as a bargaining chip. Like he's very manipulative in that sense. I am going to go with a three because I think... The, the the he's a goof in the beginning of the movie and he's he's kind of a, a you just, don't necessarily think he's going to be competent yeah. yeah and by the end he the way he it, specifically to me less of how he's fighting the beast because part of the reason he's so effective against the beast at the end is because the beast has given up yeah mm. um but the thing that really to me was the scariest about him was his ability like it's i will say it's a little bit hard to watch this character through the lens of of modern day and I know you said like he wants he wants to he wants our consent, but like he's also like I'm gonna I'm gonna wear you down to your consent and that sort of thing. But also his ability to rally a riot and a mob, yes. yeah. yeah, like had some real Charlottesville vibes. Like, well, yeah. right, but is I is it Charlotte or Charlotte? I gotta make Charlottesville. Up. But but I think I mean it, yes, it's indeed. at some level that also speaks to his personal charisma, which, which I think yes. decreases his mm-hmm. you know like. Like the the townspeople, you know, mobs are mobs, and I'm not, you know, defending that. But there is something to the fact that <laughs> you've 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 often been a defender of mobs. I remember. Yeah, that about I'm gonna go with a three as well. Okay, so two two threes and a two. Mm-hmm. Um, funny. So I think LeFou is where the humor comes from more than him. Like. I don't know. Like, I'm trying to think back. Like, the song is funny, but the song is funny because of, like, the reactions that the townspeople are giving in the tavern, the song guest on. And I think LeFou has a lot of comedic... Yeah. I think he, like, balances them out. I don't know that Gaston himself is very funny. Yeah. I... So what would you? What number would you assign to that? I think a two. Yeah, okay. Which I'm actually surprised, but, like... Yeah, he's well, become no. Well, because I'm imagining like I think when you when you're assessing the villain, you do have to take into account everything that comes with him too. Uh, just like later on when we talk about effectiveness, a lot of his effectiveness is his ability to rally people around him, um, and that's mm. that's outside of him. So I think including LeFou maybe as as with like a, a, a like a a multiplier like a point seven five multiple as part of his humor because <laughs> because they play off each other and like it's clearly in a way that they've developed a sense of humor between themselves the the little exchange of i've been thinking a dangerous pastime i know like that you know that 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 shows some timing and a relationship that is itself funny so i i, I might be willing to bump him a little bit for that he's he's dean martin and not jerry lewis but <laughs> dean martin's still funny you need a straight man yeah right yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and I think when LeFou sets him up and then he like 
bursts the thing with his neck and he eats all the eggs and like that I guess sort of stuff. That's true. Yeah. I, I I think I'm gonna give him a three. Okay. And it's it's funny because I've been thinking a lot about my actual numbers for this because I spent so many movies going Gaston's the best, Gaston's the best. And that the more I thought about after Ursula, I yeah. was like, oh, Gaston's not that great. Well, like, and that's <laughs> yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Like with me giving him a two, I'm gonna stay with the two. But okay. um, yeah, I came out of this. He was never in my top. But he was one that I remembered liking, and I came out of this like liking him less. I gotta say the same. Yeah. But what what would you give a number for Shane? I would what say would I would say a three, maybe leaning up, so like a three point five, maybe. A hard. We, well, we call that a hard three because we don't do any <laughs> of the points here. But yes, it all evens out in the end. So the next one is fierce. And while I don't think he's got a lot of cape drama or what I would usually call drag queen energy, he's got a confidence in a he's room got that a is swagger. super high. Yeah, oh, he's yeah. got a swagger that his confidence is very high. He actually might be the most confident Disney villain. Yes, that's very true. Yeah, that's kind I of his I give thing. Him a four. Yeah, like, but he also like falls in the mud and stuff like that. And I think there's some stuff that Bell undercuts that that doesn't necessarily happen to other. People well, we've rated a five. So to me, he's a four. Uh, okay. What do you guys think, numbers-wise? I mean, if, if you're talking about Fierce in terms of commanding a room, I mean, that's literally what you're knocking him for on other things. So I feel like he maxes out that stat. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so like, like, like I'm, I'm willing to go a five there, but I, I, I'm also not as committed to keeping the scale consistent as you are. So uh, I, not, I, I want you to go with whatever your heart tells you. Shane. I'm going, I'm going five. I'm going five. Okay. What do you think? I'm going for. Okay. Uh, the next one is effective. And this is one I've been thinking about a lot. Because I, as I started thinking about it, and the things we talked about, how Ursula got a five and effective because she got the trident. She got all the things She got she everything wanted. she wanted. Yeah. Gaston gets nothing he wants. <laughs> Gaston, he goes. He never marries Belle. He never That's gets like Belle to marry him. object. He, he even when he, when he has that thing where he's like, this is how I'm going to get Belle to marry me. I'm going to take her father away. That doesn't end up happening. He ends up going to that. I would say he's only effective in inciting a riot towards the beast, and then he's not effective at killing the beast or any of that stuff. Well, and once the once the mob gets in there, they wind up all running away. So well, that's one of my rewatching. That's my favorite part scene. is when they all yeah. jump out and attack the mob. But yeah, I don't think he is very effective. He's not from that standpoint, from that lens. Yeah, and I think that's what makes him funny and interesting is the like him falling in the mud, him like like I'm so beautiful why won't she marry well, me he's so it's just kind of part of his character on, he's dead set on like there's no way she's gonna turn me down yes. and then she turns him down and he's like well now if i do this she's going to say yeah like he's again back to his confidence he's very secure that eventually he's going to get her and like i feel like the point of him as a character is his downfall like that's his story is the story of like you know that's the point of everything gaston's got everything yeah I, I don't know. I just feel like if Gaston hadn't worried about Belle, he would have got out. It's just fine. I don't know. I mean, again, I, I guess if Maleficent hadn't wanted to go to the birthday party, she'd right. be fine too. I mean, I, I guess yeah. like, <laughs> I, like again, I'll say when we're looking at effectiveness, I think you need to look at the things around him too. And, and I think it, it's interesting because, you know, in his, in his scheming, he's actually, he's very, he's very effective at the intermediate steps. He's able to get the sort mm-hmm. of things leading up to it, but you're right in that he doesn't get the actual things at the end. Um, so that's a good point. So, so it, it's like, do we judge by completion percentage or do we judge by just overall movement? And that's, um, well, what number would you give him? 
out of five. I, I, will, I will admit this is a category that's a little bit unclear to me in terms of how we want to judge it. So I think I'll give a mm-hmm. I'll give a three just as my like a middle middle grade. I think I I don't think you're far off, even if if you're having a little bit of trouble with it. But we I think in in, in general we've looked at it as. You get partial credit for tasks. not completing it, but yeah. getting close, but you get full credit because I think our only fives have been Maleficent because she was like, I'm going to put Sleeping Beauty to sleep. I'm going to capture Philip. She did this and she was a soft five. Mm. Yeah. She and really then Ursula did. was a hard five because her goal was I'm going to be queen of the seas, even or own the trident and command the seas, even if she only did it for two minutes. She still was one of the only ones who would right. like everything went out my way till the very end. I I kind of want to give him a two. What do you think, Tara? I'm in between a two and a three. Okay. Um, I'm gonna give him a two. Okay. Uh, design. I I want to give I, I I it's a four and a five to me because I think he's so iconic and I like the idea of he just looks. You're you're right. Like when you said they wanted him to look like the hero. It's true. Yes. Like in any other movie, he should look like the hero. I'm looking at a picture of him right now. I'm like, really, other than the eyebrows he could be a Disney hero. Like, like the eyebrows what? are kind of what tip it towards, towards villain. Cause they're like a little too, uh, scheming. Like, but, yeah. but, but otherwise it's like, he has like, like he's got a thicker neck than Prince Eric, but otherwise they could be brothers. Well, so this yeah. is, and we're, we're recording this a little out of order guys for a couple reasons. But anyway, number what I wanted to say was while we were watching it. So in the, the little mermaid episode, Tara said she was, she was attracted to Eric. She had a little cartoon crush because mm-hmm. he had blue eyes and black hair. And you don't see that And a you lot. don't see that very often. And, and now then, <laughs> you and then see we, with Gaston and immediately I was like, oh, Gaston has black hair and blue eyes. I don't think I ever put that together. But but you're right. They do look like they could be cousins. Something yeah. we said about in an Ichabod Crane episode also. this He's got strong Brom bones energy. Like they're cut from the same cloth in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. And I think Brom is even more meant to look like a hero for most of that. And then... I the eyebrows thing is interesting. I kind of want to do some Photoshop and change his eyebrows and see if I can make him look like a hero. Yeah, but I gotta say, I gotta say, he's he's at least a four for me. He might be a five for me because I love him so much. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna put five for me. I'll I'll toss a five there. Sure. Okay. I'm gonna do a four. Okay. Now we talked. I I think we brought this up a little bit earlier. Go away heat, which is traditionally, in my opinion, left for villains that I just don't like. There, there are things that villains do that make me go, oh, I really don't like that. Like like Medusa putting Penny in a well. Or mm. Ursula yeah. kicking the dog and stuff like yeah. that. Where well, I'm like, that, no, was, you get that a- was Vanessa. Oh, that was Vanessa, not <laughs> Ursula, sorry. Um, I don't know why. I mean, I think I called it earlier where it's very hard to watch this character because we've seen this type of person. It's toxic masculinity. It, he's all toxic masculinity. Sure. And he's a, he's a cartoon version of that. He's not nearly as harmful as what we've seen in the last few years, but it's hard to distance that from there. So he gets like three go eight from me. Yeah. <laughs> because it was like really hard for me to watch that and go, this guy sounds like the guys on Twitter. This is, this is if uh, Ben Shapiro was in a larger body. Like this is stuff like that. Like it's very hard to watch. At the same that. time, he does, he, he does seem to be the life of the party in the way that Ben Shapiro is not. Yes. He does seem likable in some He's other got- ways. He gets the whole tavern singing along with him. Like that's, Th- yeah. That's an achievement. And I also, I does also he own the that's... tavern? Because he says I use antlers in all of my decorating, or is he yeah. just decorating? Or the, they're the, just the... they are they're like paying tribute to like oh, all that's of a good his point. Okay. like maybe they're displaying <laughs> his stuff. But I also think 
there's something to be said. Like, we find out in the very beginning that Belle is not like everyone else. I feel like everyone else in that town, they're sheep, right? Mm -hmm. Belle's, like, not the sheep. And I feel like that's part of it, too. He's got this charisma that everybody's like, well, he's successful. He's handsome. He's charming. Like, and they all kind of gravitate towards him. The other thing that gets me with Go Wait Heat for him, again, I'm going to go back to the asylum. Like, I think that's a very dark moment. Mm, Like, that's very much like, oh, God. Um, But I think I'm going to give him a three for Go Wait Heat. Okay. What do you think? Uh, I'll, 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 I'll go with a three. All right, yes factor. Now I'm gonna give my score, and then we're you're both gonna completely ignore it because it's mine is so biased. But I give him a five. I love Gaston. Yeah, I think he's the villain I would most like to actually hang out with. Which, <laughs> which especially now that you've gone on about how he's all toxic masculinity, I I'm, I feel weird about that. Um, but I think like there is something where you're like you know if you're around this guy, you are going to have a good time. You might end up going on a weird mobby rampage but like you you also might be singing in harmony in a bar and like that's you know yeah. especially right now i really miss being in bars and like leaning on <laughs> other sweaty people uh and as we're singing terribly and uh and and so there's something about like if you're with gaston you like basically if gaston was married and didn't have this constant <laughs> energy i feel like he would actually be kind of an okay person to hang out with um I I think he's similar to Batman or Tony Stark in that if Batman or Tony Stark were a real person in 2021 today, they would be terrible people. Sure, but well, like you want to root for them, you know, just like look they're at cool Elon Musk characters. Yes, I think that's what you get with this character is is the cartoon version is a lot of fun, but like if you really think about it, it's like oh, but, but that's I think it. I was thinking about this. I think it's less. It's it's easier for me to not get so cringy about the things he does to bell because he's he from minute one he goes i am the villain (laughs) and you go this is a disney movie he's the bad guy i know like he's gonna get his own whereas like if this was a real movie and someone was a real life and someone's like hey we should get married and blah 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 and i'm the most it's like she wouldn't get out of that situation you wouldn't know a comeuppance is coming and i think that's the problem with reality but it's neither here nor there tara what is your what did shane give did he give a five as well Right? I'll give a five. Yeah. Yes. I'm going to give him a three. Ooh. <laughs> I like, I was very surprised and we'll talk, you know, I'll have talked about it earlier. <laughs> um, well, again, we're recording this a little out. Yeah, but I was very surprised at how disconnected I was from him, from the film in general. I expected oh, really? to go into this one. I mean, I enjoyed it, but I had such an emotional reaction to the little mermaid and I was expecting to have that with this, and I didn't. And so I think that really caught me off guard. Um, so yeah, I I I wasn't a, and I think too, like I was looking at it through a different lens, and I was like, I'm not like super excited to see him. I thought I would be, but I wasn't like, I was excited that you were able to see him. Like when yes. the tavern song came, I was like, when Gaston song came, I was like excited for you because I know how much you like the song, right? Oh yeah. So. Well- it's a great song. I love the song, but yeah, I I don't know. So I don't know gives, why I'm trying to explain it. Like it's that's fine. How I you feel. can you can vote them all ones, and that's your call. It's your <laughs> vote, my dear. Um, so just so we know where he is, he is tied for ninth. Okay. With, with Shere Khan. 
Oh, all and right. I think that's a pretty good place to put him. I think he's, I think he's a top ten villain. Yeah, I would I, agree but with I, that. Even though my numbers were on I, the lower I think side, as we go, he's going to get out of the top ten pretty quick. Yeah. Well, it's 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 interesting too that he's alongside Shere Khan because now I'm thinking he of like Disney villains and queer coding and how Gaston is like in the complete opposite direction of that. Yes, I've been. I was thinking about that a lot. That because you know we've done a run of like uh ursula and things like that that are definitely queer coded and i think there's some queer coding which you know i'm not uh perfectly uh qualified to make this call but it does feel like there's a lot of beast queer coding and some of that should would be there but um not in the villain which is which is interesting yeah and we're about to we're about to get close to your gay uncle Jafar, who's going to show up here in a little bit. I, I, and especially like this era of Disney, like they could really only go one of those directions with their villains. Like there was, right. you know, it was like either this incredibly toxic masculinity or like this, you know, gay coded, uh, like effeminate, um, soft spoken, uh, yes, whispering villain. Thank you so much for uh, uh, doing this, Shane. I know we had, you know, it's you're on the other side of the world almost, so we, we there's a little bit of that. Oh, but, thank you for uh, inviting me. This has been great. We always ask our guests if they have something to plug, whether it's a personal project, uh, something you've just been enjoying, you know, during the pandemic, or uh, you know, just a sentiment you want to put out there in the world. Uh, please plug away. Uh, so I feel like I need to plug the group I'm working with right now, which is the Jesuit Refugee Service, which is in over 50 countries in the world uh, with the mission to serve, advocate, and accompany uh, refugees in every circumstance. I am based in the Middle East and North Africa region, and uh, I'll, we in Lebanon we mainly work with Syrian refugees and some Palestinians, um, but it's it's a great organization doing some really good work. Um, and if you wanted to support us, you can go to jrs.net slash donate, and uh, we would appreciate anything you could offer. Yeah, and we'll put that link up uh, in all our social media when this goes out. Yes, Aladdin so our next movie is Aladdin with all a very right. special guest uh, who I don't think knows he's going to do it, but he is. Yes. Because we've asked these people so long ago at this point. Um, so yeah, thanks guys, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. If you want to tell us your favorite Disney villain and why it's guest on, send us an email at trprincessdiaries at gmail.com. Or you can send a tweet about how great Maleficent is to at TRP Diaries. Check out our Facebook group by searching for Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, and many more. Wherever you hear us, please be our knight in shining armor and give us a five-star review. Thanks again, and until next time, remember to always live happily ever after. Uh-huh.